Hey everybody, how's everybody doing? Hope uh, everything's keeping safe during these crazy, crazy times. Uh, this is Albert from Flatiron Investments and WTS Dynamics. Um, I have Justin on with me today uh, talking. We're actually going to go over a lot of different topics for you guys. But uh, first, I'm going to go ahead and let him introduce himself to you guys. So Justin, go ahead. You got the mic. All right, guys. So as Albert said here, my name is Justin. I run a channel on YouTube called Horsepower Obsessed. Basically, just focuses on some automotive things, typically Corvette related. Awesome, Justin. That's fantastic, man. Cool. Yeah, and that's actually how I found you, Justin. That was that was the craziest story. So we were on the C8 group. Uh, I was just going through my feed, and I saw that uh, Kurt, uh, who actually had just purchased a Elkhart uh, Blue C8, he had, he had delivered his he had gotten his car delivered right before this craziness with the coronavirus that had just happened. And so I reached out to him, and then he was the one that actually reposted the video that you did, which was pretty awesome because you guys are in the same area. And uh, man, your video was actually really cool. I, 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 it, it was a, I, I liked the way that you did it because it was, it was a very, I'd say it was a very detailed video about obviously the different options when, when you're talking about from 1LT to 2LT to 3LT. I think that's a very important thing to cover because not a lot of people I think have, there's a couple of people that have talked about it, but I think you kind of went very much in detail you know, and talked a lot about a lot of things that even myself didn't know, which was really cool. Like we talked about before we did the podcast uh, that we started the podcast, which was the uh, uh, that mirror, uh, the, the fact that the rear view mirror has the ability of actually projecting the image from the rear view camera. Again, first time I had seen that. Very cool option. I think it's one of the coolest things. I, I know, guys, it's like, wait a minute. So you're talking about the C8 and the only thing that Albert is talking about is the rear view mirror. I'm just saying that it's a really what what it what, the reason I thought it was so cool was is you could tell how forward thinking Chevy it just it just goes to show their 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 mentality that they had when they were coming up with ideas and and forward thinking ideas that nobody else in the manufacturing of supercars or even hypercars has thought of and that's pretty amazing so it just it's a detail that I I really stuck out and it really goes to show that they're you know they're using all the technological um the technological things that are in the C8 to their advantage and doing something different with it that nobody else has done. And I think that goes throughout the entire the entirety of the car. But we're kind of getting off uh, our subject. So the first thing that I wanted to go over with you, Justin, was um, we talked about the fact that you had actually had a couple Corvettes and you had moved from a C7Z06 to a, Z, a C7ZR1 Z06. Uh, uh, yeah, C7Z01Z06. Excuse me, C7Z06 to a C7Z01, which is pretty awesome. Um, let's go over the experience because I think that's that's something that not a lot of people have gotten through. That most people that are diehard Z06 guys, the reason they go with a Z06 most of the time is, well, it, it really does come down to price. <laughs> I think it really it, it's one of those things that you know the the Z01. I mean, was being marketed at almost fifty forty thousand plus on top of the Z06. And from the outside, knowing about the car as much as I had obviously done my research and, and looked at the car and, and had been in, you know, C6Z06s and raced a whole bunch of different types of Corvettes, one thing that stood out to me was, wait a minute, for the first time in the Z01's history, the engine platform, even the aerodynamic, I mean, the aerodynamic parts, those were really the only thing that, you know, besides the badge and the extra 100, I think it's, what is it, uh, Justin, 100 plus horsepower, uh, 120 horsepower on top of the C7 C06? 105. 105, there we go. So it was, yeah, the 105 horsepower, 
there wasn't too much. Again, you are obviously purchasing something that will retain its value a lot more than the C706. That's without a doubt because of the limited number of production numbers. But for again, like if you had gone back to the history of the C606 and the C601, that was a big jump. That was like when you know we had the the seven liter, obviously the the 427 liter in the C606, and then we had actually jumped into the first supercharged factory produced supercharged um uh corvette you know badass hyper basically supercar uh, a car would because i always i always saw the corvette as being a sports car that had supercar killing abilities you know it was it was the corvette kind of became this this vehicle that was the car that you you know that most people could afford but not only since not only for the masses but the fact was that these cars when they were being put next to pretty much every other supercar out there in a lot of cases they were kicking all their asses which i think has been chevy's motto for a long time but uh yeah let me let, let's kind of get into that let's jump into that what do you uh what, what do you think i mean what um actually i think the first thing we should start is what made you go from c706 to c701 well when when I first saw a C7 Corvette in general, I wanted it something fierce. Um, I originally tried to purchase a C7 Corvette Stingray in 2014, whenever they first came about. And I had such a difficult time because of uh, dealership markups and everything. I ended up just scrapping the idea and buying a, a, a Camaro ZL1 instead. Okay. Um, nice. Fast forward maybe three years later. Uh, I started really seeing and uh, getting extremely excited for the C7 Z06, and I, I kept pointing it out and saying, that's my dream car. Right. And all while knowing I was never going to actually be able to get one. Well, right. you know, right around that time well, frame. Never say never, right? <laughs> right, exactly. Around that same time frame, an option popped up where the price was right, the car was exactly what I wanted, so I, I purchased the C7 Z06, and... It was amazing. I mean, I loved the car. I loved everything about it. And it was less than six to eight months after I purchased the car that Chevy started talking about the ZR1. Yeah. And I said, how could this car get any better? I mean, the ZR1's right. got to be better than the Z06, but how does it get better than the Z06? Right. And when they brought out the ZR1, I immediately knew that's how it gets better. So it's, it's interesting that you compared the C6 Z06 and the C6 ZR1. The, the numbers on paper for the C6 and the C7 aren't that much different. So right. you think it is, but at the end of the day, what the real big difference between the C6 Z06, the C6 ZR1, and the C7 Z06 and the C7 ZR1 is always been mostly about not having the options and just getting everything on that model. So what I'm really getting at is with the C7 Z06, you had the option without the Z07 package, you could get just regular iron brakes, Correct. less aerodynamics, stuff like that. A slightly stiffer suspension for the Z06 with the Z07 package. That was all an option. With yeah. the ZR1, it's not an option. You get you can get the ZTK package like I have with the big wing and the, the heavier aero, mm -hmm. but for the most part, across the board with the C7 ZR1, you're getting carbon ceramic rotors, there's no option for iron rotors like there was with the Z06. So the big thing with the ZR1 is the name, 
but at the same time, it checks all the boxes, whether you want it to or not. It's giving you everything Corvette has to offer in that generation. Correct. And for me, I didn't really even need all that stuff because I had the Z07 package, Z06 already. Oh, you but did I have just, the, you had this. Okay, that's awesome. I didn't know you had that. that, that yeah, because that, that was a, not to interrupt you, there was a friend of mine who was actually my neighbor. He had just moved in uh, when I was living, um, you know, in my other house that I had a couple of years back. Uh, some well, a couple years, like eight years ago, and he had actually gotten the Z07 package. That was the first time I had visually seen it, and it was yeah. amazing because of the car ceramics. But go ahead. It is. It's a really nice looking car, and yeah. I, I I've had this question come up a lot as to why I would have made that change, and ba basically for me it came down to 105 more horsepower, which is I'll be honest with you is almost unnoticeable. Right. Yeah. Um, you unless notice. you're like 100 percent in the throttle all the time, you're never going to notice that. The right. big thing for me was I really I loved the aerodynamics of the car, the front splitter, the big wing in the back. It just gives it such a an exotic car look. Right. And it's 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 odd because my my C7 Z06 was red and it caught a lot of attention, but I literally can't pull out of my driveway with the black ZR1 without people stopping and staring and right. even asking questions about what kind of car it is. Right. So it, the carbon fiber bits on the ZR1 really take the whole car to another level. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with with pretty much everything you said, and and I'm glad you brought up the, the Z07 package because that was something that was huge with the C6, um, with the C6 Z06. I remember he hearing about it, and then they had another they had another one, but like I said, my my neighbor had gotten it. It was the first time you know that I had seen the car in person. Really, it was the one thing, it, it, like you kind of said, it it checkmarked some of the boxes that were not really missing, but it, it's like you wanted, see the thing with, with and I, I, I like how Chevy did it because they did it, you know, Carbon Ceramics, that's something I wanted to kind of go over. I'm glad that we got into this subject. Carbon Ceramics has been around, um, really the mainstream push was back in, I remember, you know, I used to watch Top Gear all the time, and I remember when they had the McLaren SLR. Remember that when they when they when they finally got the SLR or the Mercedes? I do. Um, yeah. That was a fantastic car. Now the problem with that car, the only thing with that car that was kind of an issue that everybody talked about was that the transmissions, the you know, the the DCT transmissions that Mercedes was pumping out at that time, it still it was fast for the time, but it really started to get it, it got its ass kicked within, I think it was three or four years after that. So the transmission was one of the biggest problems that when they wanted, you know, when you wanted to downshift into a lower gear, coming into a turn, trying to hit the, the apex at a certain angle, it just was not, it was like, no, sorry, I'm not going to do this because I'm going to blow myself up and I'm not doing that. So, but the, the one thing about that review was amazing that they were talking about the Karma Ceramics, the Karma Ceramics, the Karma Ceramics. And then obviously you had in, in the, the three hypercars at the time, and I don't really consider the SLR a hypercar because I think it was still a supercar that was trying to... McLaren was trying to inject some components to turn it into something very special, which it was, but um, especially the design. But then you obviously had Porsche with the Carrera GT, and then you also had the Enzo. Those were the three, like the three pinnacles at the time that were fighting for a priority, and were fighting to be the best, you know, quote unquote, hypercar, except for the SLR that kind of fit in that middle section. So carbon ceramics at that time. They weren't perfected yet. And on the Mercedes, it was a huge problem because they even discussed that. As Jeremy Clarkson discussed that on the uh, on the review, he was talking about the brake feel. There was no brake feel. It, it was literally you press the brakes and the brakes, 
it almost felt like you were slamming the pedal. There was no pedal feel whatsoever. And this is actually something that I had personal experience with because I had a good friend of mine um, who had purchased the CLS 55 AMG when they first came out, the first generation. And it was really cool. He went to the, he had this awesome, uh, I didn't even know they had this program. Mercedes had this program. I don't know if they have it yet uh, still, but I, I, I'm pretty sure they still do, is that you actually, they give you a cheaper, well, cheaper, they give you a better price to travel to um, Stuttgart uh, at, the, at the dealership there and actually drive the car out of the, the factory, out of the factory, and then you get to drive it down to the port to have it shipped over here, and he did that. And they actually, I think he saved like $10,000. It's a $10,000 discount, which is amazing that they even offer that. So when he got the car here, this is at the time I had an 04 Mystic Cobra. Um, you know, I've had a lot of I've had a lot of different cars, but that was one of my you know really cool cars that I used to have. Um, badass cars. I used to love that car. Um, it was amazing because when you know we did kind of our own little review with it, and we had that same. I, I drove the car, and what was explained was that there's so at all. I think it was from. I don't want to quote me on the year, but it was it was within about five to six years that they, what they were doing was instead of having a feeling from the brake, right? The brake was actually, because uh, this was when fly-by-wire was starting to get injected as well into all types of cars and all types of aspects of the automotive industry. So the braking system was a fly-by-wire, and all they had for brake feel was some stupid spring behind the brake. So that's, there was no brake feel. And that was, it kind of got obviously magnified when you put carbon ceramics. So, but then going back to, forward to what we were talking about, when they offered the Z07 package, I think it was the one thing that the Z06, the C6 Z06 was missing, I think was the braking. Because as we know, at the time, uh, they weren't, I mean, they had, uh, I believe they were Brembo's, but they were not the Brembo's that we know now. Like Brembo had made a contract with pretty much everybody now. All manufacturers are using Brembo uh, for their sports models or the supercars, hypercars. Um, for, for a couple of exceptions, like Koenigsegg, but even Koenigsegg, I believe, does have contract with, I don't know which cars, I don't know what specific models, but I know for a couple of their models, um, maybe not the Camara and not the uh, not the Jesco, but I think for the Agueras and for the cars, be, uh, let me see, the Agueras and the cars before that, they were using a contract with Brembo, which is, you know, hey, look, you can't, I mean, they're the best in the business, period. Um, so... Yeah, so then, so you had a Z07, so that's really cool, man. And did you ever, uh, did you ever track the car, Justin? Did you ever take it to like a, like an actual circuit track or drag racing at all? I did not. Um, I actually have the ZR1 set up currently for an event that I hope to get together here very soon. But of course, with the, uh, with what's happening in the world right now, it's going to be a little difficult for me to get it on the track anytime soon. But right, fingers crossed. Yeah. And so on the and so when you had the so so let's go over that. Uh, so when you had so you had the Z06 uh, Z07 package on the Z06. How long, you had that car for what a year? I had that car for about a year. Um, um actually it was just a hair over two years. Okay, and then that's when you jumped into the C7 Z06. The C7 ZR1, yeah. Okay, but I'm sorry when you switch exactly. Um, awesome. And so would you say that there's anything else as far as obviously, because the interior, I, I mean, I've seen the cars at the dealerships. I've, I've looked at them they're here in Miami. It was ridiculous. They had one that was price marked over at like 150000 And this particular car I know is one of the cars that I've seen that car for a long time. It's been at the dealership for more than eight months. 
And I think that the ZR1 had a little bit of the same issue that the Viper ACR and the Viper, the generation, the, the Gen 5 Viper was having with, you know, there was a lot of dealerships, like specific dealerships that were getting their hands on Vipers. Dude, and the Vipers were not moving. I feel stupid, I, not stupid, I feel bad that that's a situation because I'll tell you this, um, I have a couple friends that have the uh, base, base model Viper, the Gen 5, and ACR. And let me tell you, I mean, even Salamander and uh, Alejandro uh, Salamander on YouTube, when he purchased his, he said that was the most radical um, mechanical grip car he had ever owned. And this is a guy who's owned everything, Carrera GTs, Enzos, uh, Pagani, Zon. I mean, he's had it all. He's had every single hypercar and supercar you can think of. And to, for that statement to come out um, was, uh, it, it, you could tell. I mean, you could just tell that, and I, I'm kind of glad that, I'm not glad that the Viper ended, but I am kind of glad that the engineers said, hey, look, guys, this is going to be the last running Viper. As far as we know, we need to make this the most badass, most insane, you know, Viper ever made. And I think they they nailed it with everything that they did with that car. Did you by any chance, Justin, the reason I bring up the Viper was, did you ever look at the Viper and say, well, they're kind of in the same price range. Maybe I should think about getting a Viper since I've already had a Z06 or was that not something that didn't even spark any interest? Well, like I said earlier, the Z06 was my dream car. So the only way I could sell that car and get into something else was to get into a car that was the same, only better. So okay. I, I basically, it had to be the C7ZR1. But with that said, I have given realistic thought to a, a Viper, especially the ACR. Right. It is a fantastic looking car in person and obviously quite a performer. If I had to guess at some point, that will make an appearance on my channel. Okay, awesome. So that might be something down the line. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, yeah I think um, for me, it's it's a hard decision because you know I think I think both you and me and most of the people, I think most of the people now in the car world, there's something that's going on which I think is is good. They're starting to broaden. I mean, you still have those guys that are like Chevy guys and Ford guys and Porsche guys and Ferrari guys, but I think that there's something starting to change in people's minds where they're starting to understand that it's well, wait a minute, hold on, all cars supercars, hypercars, sports cars, normal cars, everything that is being made obviously has its disadvantages and, and, and advantages. And something that I've always kind of found funny was these people that obviously wear, you know, they want to wave that flag, they want to wear that cap, you know, Ford, diehard Ford, you know, blue blood. And I, I get it. It's, it's part of our tribal you know, way of thinking. That's a very tribal thing to do. And obviously tribalism comes into the car world as well. But I, I find it that today it's it's hard to, to get yourself into those camps because, hey, look, if you're one of those guys, look, hey, you're entitled to your opinion. And if you're only a Ford guy and you will only buy Ford, look, nobody can tell you otherwise. No one's saying that you should have to change your mind. That's not what I'm trying to get at. What I'm saying is, is that I think that with the the way that information now is being shared, obviously, through channels like yours, YouTube, um, you know, where everybody is starting to put a lot of really creative ways to put information out there to make it entertaining and very educational. It's very hard to get into one of those camps because it's like you, just the comparison, like exactly what we're talking about right now, right? The, the C701 against the Viper. It's a hard, I'll tell you this, this is what I like about the Viper compared to the Z01 and the Z06. Here in Miami, obviously, there's a lot of very wealthy people that have a lot of money and they, 
you know, get to splurge on, on, you know, buying whatever they want, whatever supercar they want or whatever sports car they want. I have seen C7Z06s, I'll tell you this, when they first came out a year and it was, it's been two years now, right? It's two, two and a half, almost three years. I think it's been, because it, The ZR1? Uh, the, no, the, the Z06 came out uh, 20, what was it, 2016? 15. 15. Oh, 15. Oh, shit, so it's been five years. Holy shit, time flies. Um, so when it first came out, I'll tell you that in the first six months, that was one of the cars you started seeing obviously come out to the street races. Um, and I'm huge on street racing as well. I grew up street racing here in Miami. It was really funny to watch the differences that Chevy did to, to engineering-wise to make this really into – because if you really think about it, man, Especially the ZR1 because it only takes it to the next level, dude. The ZR1, the C, the C7Z06, and the C7Z01, and even cars like the the Ford, the the Shelby GT350, the you know obviously the Shelby Cobra now. Not to we'll get into that whole transmission bullshit thing that's going on, but um, th- these cars are literally have race car, and I'm not talking about just like their their traction control systems. Fuck all that shit. The 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 actual um, the technology that's going into them, like they have differential coolers, they have transmission coolers. That's race cars. That's Le Mans yep. race car, like components. That's amazing to have that on a street car. So, one thing that I really liked about the fact that when it came out, you know, and then they obviously did the whole thing where they brought back the target top, which is amazing. I, I love it, love it, love it. Can't get enough of of, of a car with a target top. That's just awesome. But all that chassis stiffening that they did, which is a fantastic thing, I'm not taking it away from them, but it added, compared to the C6 06, it added 500 pounds. And that 500 pounds, man, let me tell you, there was, like I said, there was a whole bunch of C7 Z06 that were coming out to the street, to the street races. I had a good friend of mine who had, uh, who's had a C6 for a, a while, and we're like, oh, we have to, like, this is, this is the race, you know? And his car was not bone stock. It had, you know, simple bolt-ons, intake, exhaust, uh, no cam. No, no head work. It was just literally intake exhaust and a nice tune. And um, uh, we beat him, dude, by, I have the video, it was like three, I'd say four and a half, it was almost four and a half cars. That's a big difference. That's a, that's a, I mean, if it was half a car, and I, I thought it was going to be that big because 500 pounds is not, you know, 100 pounds is okay, but 500 pounds is a lot. That's almost three, that's almost three people you're taking out of the car. So, with the Z01, did they uh, did they make the car any lighter than the Z06? Because I, I I never even looked that up. No, so um, it was around thirty five hundred pounds. Okay. Um, now, th- this is where things get a little uh, iffy because mm-hmm. a lot of people I've heard a lot of people say exactly that same thing, but if you do the actual factual research. The C6 ZR1 weighs 3,373 pounds. Correct. I was talking about the C6 ZR6. I know that the yeah. the C, yeah, I know that the C6 ZR1 weighed a little bit more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but I'm I'm just saying, uh, well, the actual numbers aren't as far apart as you would think. So even the C6 ZR6 is 3,131. Right. To the the C7 ZR6 is around 3,500 pounds as well. So right. it's 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 about 370 pounds ish. But if you think about what you're gaining versus what you're losing, uh, in some cases, the added weight is worth the difference. But sure. I have not seen a stock for stock, a C6 Z06 beat a C6 ZR, uh, Z06. All right. right. 
Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, there, there's a, I mean, I'm pretty sure if we type it in YouTube, we could probably find it, but there, yeah. it, it's, it's, it's even three, let's say it was 350. Cause if, yeah, from the weight difference, cause I know that the C606 was always about 3000, like right around that corner, 3000 pounds. Um, obviously you have to factor in your own weight uh, as a driver, but that would be the same with the other car as well. Um, yeah, I, I think it was, again, I don't, I don't say – I'm not saying that this is a bad thing. I, I think it was a fantastic thing because, again, you had a car now that – I mean, the engineering that went into the C606 was – I had a good conversation with a, a friend of mine, um, same guy that we talked about before the podcast, Justin, um, the guy that's in um, – he's an engineer at Picar. I'm not going to really say his name, but very good buddy, racing buddy of mine. Uh, we grew up racing. We actually built a C6 here, uh, one of the fastest, quote-unquote, at the time. Car only had – well, only 650 horsepower, but the – 650 horsepower in a 3,000 pound car. It's fucking balls, man. I mean, you we we were spinning the wheels to you know the street tires on that thing to like 120 miles per hour. It was no joke. So um, the owner of that car, unfortunately, um, was also a, a friend of mine, and he uh, he actually passed away. He's long story, but uh, uh, he he was being stubborn because he was like, oh man, let's go out. You know, he wanted to get serious about racing. I'm like, look. If you want to get serious about racing, first of all, we got to do a drag setup on this. You know, like a, a proper, you know, skinny up front with a with a with at least a 16 inch wheel out back with at least a 45 or maybe even 50 inch tall tire. Mickey, a Tom, you know, we really want to. If you really want to do this the correct way, you got to do it the right way. And as you know, that car there was a big, and I know there's a lot of people that have done it. It's not a problem, but there was a lot of people that they got into that situation and they had to remove the rear the rear caliper, which that really does suck. Now, if granted, if you're going to build, a, you know, a, a straight up drag racing car. I mean, there's a guy. I forgot the guy's name. I should have looked it up before we started the podcast. But I'll, I'll, I'll put it. Uh, I'll, I'll maybe stick it in later. There was a guy that had. It was the most ridiculous C606 I've ever seen in my life. It was a black on black on black C606. The car had, from what I remember, 2,000 horsepower. It was a famous video when they first got it on the street. They went to Texas 2K. Dude, there's a they, – they had – I believe it was a GoPro on the roof. And this fucking thing, I mean, at 100, I think it was and, – and this thing had, like, again, same setup that we were just talking about, like 50 tall-inch fucking Mickey Thompson's, like, full drag setup. Obviously, 2,000 horsepower. <laughs> it's un – you can't even – I can't even – I mean, it's hard to even say that number, let alone try to figure out what that feels like in a streetcar. <laughs> but – when he stomped on it, he was just playing with these guys because there was these, uh, I think there was a, a couple 1,200 horsepower or 1,500 horsepower GTR AMS cars. There was a couple of the underground racing 15, 1,800 horsepower Hurricanes and Gallardos. It was ridiculous. They were all just having a blast on the freeway. And he's just getting on it, man. And he's just, just getting on it to warm up the tires. And the car, man, it just slightly starts turning to the right as he's still moving forward. And they're doing 100 plus miles per hour. Like he was starting to do, uh, this was at like 80 that I think he downshifted from fourth to third or even I think second. And I think he was in third, third, it was a high gear. And you could tell the car just started slowly just shifting. And when you have a set of skinnies in the front, I don't know if you've driven a car like that, man, but dude, it feels like you're not on, it feels like you got wood for tires in the front. Like it doesn't, (laughs) they don't do shit. Because there's, they're not, they don't, you know, they're the width of those things are tiny. Um, so the whole thing just started shifting to the right. I don't know. Have you ever seen this video that I'm talking about, Justin? Have you never seen it? 
I have not seen that. No. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. By the end of the podcast or at the end, I'll grab a link to that video. I'm gonna send it to you. You can check it out. It's ridiculous. Anyways, the car ended up racing, uh, dude. I think at the end of the night they finally found a two, I almost equally horsepower GTR. It fucking, it didn't even, it it looked like hyperspeed is what he did. He finally, you know, the the car was warmed up. Oh, and he had, that's right, he had the. <laughs> He had the wastegate that was sticking out of the hood, and these fucking six-foot flames were just coming out of the hood, and he was doing two steps on the freeway. It was fucking insane. But we're draining off here. What I was trying to get to was that that platform, the C6, from, and this is something we talked about before as well, was the different steps that Chevy has taken, right? Like from C4 to C5 was a big jump. And then even though that the C5, we kind of consider it, you know, of course, we look at back at it now and we go, yeah, it's a piece of shit. It really isn't. I mean, it, it wasn't as advanced as the C6, but obviously with the eight year increments, you know, incrementally trying to make the cars better, this is what happened. Um, but my, uh, back to what I was trying to say, my friend, the engineer, he explained to me that what Chevy did actually was that they supposedly had hired 13 different engineers from all different parts of different parts of manu of, of um, uh, like manufacturers that had disposable engineers that they could kind of lend. They all gathered up and said, okay, guys, look, we want to make the best Corvette ever, which obviously that's what they always say, but they really meant it. They were like, look, how do we make this thing ridiculous? Oh, and by the way, something that just struck up in my head, remember the reason that the car, the C606 was so light, remember that thing had uh, balsa wood for its floor panels, yep. <laughs> which... That's, I mean, hey, look, if you want to make something light and you're trying to make it inexpensive and, and available to the masses, these are the things that they did. And you know what? It worked. You know, can you make fun of it? Well, I mean, not really. It, that's a stupid thing to make fun of. Um, you know, the use of carbon fiber was not yet there. But right. now it finally were there. You know, with the C8, we finally have reached a point where, look, this is no joke anymore. This isn't just like a – and again, the C6 wasn't a joke. And the C7, Z06, and the Z01, and the they none of those cars were jokes. They were all badass. The problem is that because I have a lot of contacts, you know, in the hypercar world and in the supercar world with my other business, AG Supercars, um, I deal with a lot of these people. And what's sad is that a lot of these people, unfortunately, a lot of these very wealthy people that just have the money, have always maybe had the money or have their own businesses, they don't even give the, these cars a chance. Which I wanted to ask your opinion on that because I, I think that's a very stupid way of thinking because, yes, if you have a Lamborghini Hurricane or a Gallardo or, you know, a Ferrari 458 or 48 or a Porsche 911 Turbo, Turbo S or any of these cars that are not a Corvette, right, and not a GM product, um, they try to diminish these cars just because it's not an exotic. And it's like Chevy has finally gotten to the point where like, hey, guys, by the way. Fuck you, because now you can't say shit, because now we're a supercar. So what are you going to say now? So I just, I wanted your opinion on what you think of that. Well, I've actually talked a lot about this in the past, and uh, I actually made a video on it almost a year ago now. It didn't, it, it didn't, it wasn't well received because what really? I would, what I would put out there is that the C7 Corvette, the Z06 and up, so Z06 and ZR1, mm -hmm. in my opinion, already are supercars and the reason i say this is because there's no solid definition of what a supercar is right so where i put it is supercar kind of defines 
performance. So right. if the C7Z06 and the C7ZR1, I've seen them take down Lamborghini Gallardos, Lamborghini yeah. Huracans. Yeah. Stock for stock, they're faster than yeah. what is definitely a supercar. So that makes the C7Z06 and ZR1, that makes it a supercar. Now, if you want to take it a step further and talk about production numbers, I think then we're talking about what makes an exotic car. Right. So, yes, naturally, the Lamborghini uh, Huracans have a slightly lower production number than the C7ZR1. So, yeah, it would be an exotic, whereas the ZR1 might not be, even though the ZR1 does have a pretty limited production number at around right. 2,800. Right. Um, it only ran for one year. So, with that said, I think, yes, the C7s are supercars from the Z06 and up, in my opinion. And anybody who wouldn't consider that based on performance alone is, yeah, I would agree, is stupid. But I know with the people out there that have the money that they typically go for Ferraris and Lamborghinis and Porsches and things like that, they're, they're not really the people that are going to consider the C7 or even the C8 Corvettes because they're... Actually, I'll, I'll, I'll use the words of someone that I talked to recently at a Chevy dealership. I said, I went in saying, okay, yeah, now the C8's mid-engine, it's got everything that your typical supercar has. Why would anybody buy a Ferrari or a Lamborghini now? And right. he just looks at me and says, well, what? let me ask you in a, in a slightly different way then. If you're a, a Rolex kind of guy, you like your Rolex on your wrist, would right. you go to Walmart and buy a Timex watch just because it's the same thing? Exactly. And I that's said, a really that's a very, exactly. That's the same thing. I said, that's fantastic. <laughs> that puts it all into perspective. It's not yeah. about the fact that the car can do the same thing. It's there's more to right. it than that. Right. Yeah. I, I would uh, let's, uh, you, you said a lot there and I, I have to, I, I hate to disagree with, with uh, a cool guy like you, a car guy, but I have to, I think we have to, you made a very good point. And I think that you're, you're right that it may, maybe it wasn't well reserved because of that or well, received but I, I think i have to say one thing with the supercar argument the thing about a supercar or a hypercar is one thing right the corvette until now um i would say well this is there, there's different definitions and like you said that there's it's a very objective thing and it's true but there there are now i think because of so many years of supercars that we've had now because the, the supercar world has been around technically since the lamborghini mira supposedly a lot of very very diehard you know automotive journalists automotive uh companies they've all kind of i think we can all agree that the lamborghini mira really was one of the first you know technically looking at so ridiculously insane different than everything else was ever made as the first supercar um we're not talking about vintage race cars not le mans race cars, nothing like that formula one cars for the street you know uh, unattainable car that would give you and, and if you look at it, even still today, it is a very stunning looking car. Now, I'm, uh, I am half Italian, so I, I might be a little biased on this, but I will say this, is that the, the Lamborghini Mura, I'm not going to take, I'm not going to tell you it's a good car. It's a piece of shit. Techni like, te as far as build quality and the car that it is, oh my, dude, that car has the fuel tank in the front of the car, meaning that uh, uh, the more you drive it, the more the tank starts emptying, the front end of the entire car starts getting lighter on you. So think about what that does for turning. Right. Not, not smart, but is it a fantastic looking car that you still today look at it? Wow. I mean, just look at it. It's a mirror. I've only seen two of those cars in my entire life. I actually got a chance to sell one of them. 
a red one, which was really cool. Um, I got a, a lot better experience um, to be with it and actually around it and, and sit in it and you know hear it and drive it. And it was it's a it's a it's a very unique experience. That's for sure. Um, most people that buy the car, obviously today, they would they would be doing a lot of different changes with it. One of them being the fuel tank, and that there's different varieties of variations of it that they had where it got better and better. Obviously, they started you know uh, addressing some of these very crazy technical issues. But that was a very typical Italian design. I mean, that, that's what that's what it was. That's how things were done back then. Obviously, we're not in that era anymore. But to me, I'll tell you this. That's I, I I call it like what I did before. Uh, Corvettes. I don't. I just I can't. I I, I don't. It's a, for me. It's a car. It's a sports car with supercar abilities. I can't. But you have a very good point. You made a very good point of saying what you said. That hey, the, wait. If this car, right? If the if definition um, of a supercar, a lot of it has to do with high performance, right? The performance of it. But there's different boxes that need to be ticked as well. That need to be checkmarked. Like I was going to ask you, there's something also about design, right? And the way it looks. And most supercars, because I've had this conversation with a lot of car friends of mine as well, and we always kind of bump heads on this depending on who the person is speaking. And one of the things we always bump heads about is, well, if you look at the supercars, right? If you ever look all every supercar ever made, like ever, since the beginning, that's why I brought up the Mira. Since the Mira, the mid-engine platform it has to be a must because that's one of the things that makes it so different than any other car out there. Well, so, see, th this is where all of it kind of falls apart because you have your opinion, I have mine, and right. that is exactly why the whole supercar term is hard to really pin down because right. what you consider a supercar and what I consider a supercar are obviously two different things. There are no actual boxes. Now, for you, you you think in your head, yeah, it has to be this, this, and this. I think in my head, oh, no, it has to actually be this, this, and this. No one actually gives you a list of what it actually has to be to meet right. these requirements. So that that's the fact that you're disagreeing with me is just proving that there's nothing solidifying what a supercar actually is. That's true. And this has been – this will be debated – until someone yeah, comes forever. out and says, <laughs> until someone actually comes out and says this, and hey, look, this is what right. we define as a supercar. That's it's very objective. You're very you're very correct. But I would say that there's been many times that they've had these conversations on Top Gear, Fifth Gear. Um, they've had these conversations on. I think uh, uh, Evil Magazine has had it. Um, and I, you're right. I mean, I, look, I, I'm not trying to downgrade the the Corvette. The Corvette's amazing. I love the Corvette. Look, I'm I was born here in, in, in the states. I mean, I'm American, so I I I. I I'm kind of, again, not trying to say that I'm biased towards it, but it's one of those things that I, I, I love what it is. It's a fantastic car. And I mean, I grew up, uh, my first Corvette was actually a C5. And like I said, that was a base model. It wasn't even the Z06. And that car was awesome. I have great, I, 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 that car never gave me a problem. You know, super reliable. Um, I, I think one of the things that, that Corvette did in the 90s was, because in the 90s, supercars were starting to come up you know, manufacturers were really starting to try to push the envelope. And what I did see in the 90s was that you did have a lot of people like Chevy Ford. They were the ones actually coming up and pushing. If it wasn't for them, and then and then there was yeah. something that, that did happen as well, which was Nissan, right? And this is something we talked about as well, was that Nissan came in with the GTR, um, with the R35 GTR. And they really did, I think that they were an equation they were kind of a factor in the equation of them wanting to change 
the game, the transmission game, the dual clutch transmission game. But they didn't do it in a way where they were just coming because Nissan has always had, when they made the Skyline, they had one mission. And their mission was if we can beat the, if we can specifically beat Porsche with the 911 Turbo, we're happy. We don't care that it doesn't look anything like a super. And that's another one, right? The Skyline, the R34 Skyline, had almost supercar like abilities, like the, the four wheel drive system on that car. It, I mean, it really, it, it, it they, they, they did, um, they did uh, achieve their goal. They beat the the 911 Turbo. That was that was always their goal. With the R35, things changed because they were like, okay, look, we have to make something that obviously can do that, right? Beat the GT, beat the 911 Turbo at its own game. Nurburgring times, track times, obviously the is most important. But it, it came down to the fact that they they pushed it so far. Now, the V6 component, the fact it was a twin turbo, mm, I, I that obviously turned a lot of people off on that because it's it's. I think that they should have kept on. I, I think if they really wanted to push something, I, in my opinion, they should have gone with an inline six. Um, and I, I believe the same thing now with the Supra, the A90 Supra. I think they should have done that as well, which they did, but they cheated because they went with BMW, and that's a whole other conversation. But um, I don't know. It's it's it, it's a hard. It, this is what I have to say about a supercar and hypercar, right? I've, I've, I think you and me have been, and most car guys have been around these cars, especially because of cars and coffee. Now we, there's a lot more access to these cars that I think we've ever seen in the entire automotive world. You know, there was never such a. Uh, I don't think there's ever been a time better to be a car guy or a car girl or any person that's into cars, a car enthusiast, because you you can really, I mean, not that you're going to get to ride in these cars, but even that, you can go to some of these cars and coffee, man, and you'll see some fucking cars that, I mean, I'd say 15 years ago, you could only go to Pebble Beach or Meekum or any of the big auction houses, um, you know, Barrett-Jackson, you would never see these cars, which... I think it's pretty awesome. Um, I think that's another thing that is a very important thing that uh, I wanted to kind of run by you. What, what what do you think about the fact that um, that now us, us you know car enthusiasts have the ability of at least going to one of these cars and coffee down your local car and coffee, wherever state you're in, and you can see like fucking Pagani Zondas, and you could see uh, Koenigsegg Agera RSs, and You'll see LaFerraris, and it's like, you know, you'll see Porsche 918s. Um, you know, uh, just a couple of months before the coronavirus hit Miami, we were at, uh, they had this amazing show that was in the middle, of, uh, right there by the downtown district. I have pictures. I have to post them up. They even, it was ridiculous. They It was a concourse in Miami. Dude, they had, I don't know if you ever heard of this car. Jaguar in the 90s, not the XJ220. That's because most people I know, people would have thought, oh, the 90s. I know exactly what you're talking about. There was another car that Jaguar was experimenting with, and I have to look up the name of it, man. I think it's called the C something. C. I have to look it up. But that Jaguar, I'm going to post some pictures of it. Um, they had it there at the concourse. There's only, I believe, it's less than five examples in the entire earth, and it was there. And this was a free show; you could just walk right in. So, what do you think about the whole? Cars and coffee, I don't want to call it a movement. Cars and coffee, uh, I guess, I don't know, uh, the new fact that people could just go to any cars and coffee and see some of the most rarest cars on the face of the planet. Oh, I mean, it's as a car guy, that's that's awesome. I mean, yeah. as a kid, I would have killed to be able to see some of these Lamborghinis and Ferraris and stuff up close because just like you said, 
aside from going to the real big shows, you were never going to see that stuff locally. Right now, I mean, I, I just I say it every time I I walk into certain places and I see these kind of cars sitting around. You know, we're, we live in a day and age where 650 horsepower is garbage, mediocre. It's, <laughs> it's like it's not the norm. Even, it's the norm. Yeah, it's, it's not even norm. a high number anymore. And yeah. I mean, that just means we're living in a fantastic, a fantastic age for car people. I mean, yes, it's insane. You hit that one on the nail, dude. That's another subject. Uh, so glad you brought that up. That was another thing I wanted to talk about was the norm, the new norm of horsepower on the street. Like you just hit it. It's 650 horsepower is the, I mean, that's what you get on a base model. Oh, basically on a base model C706. That is ridiculous. And you know what I like about, the, I'll tell you this. The one thing I like about what's going on with that is that we're not seeing anything stopping yet. And that is very exciting. Um, we mentioned the 2000 horsepower C6 C06 and, you know, underground racing. I mean, they, I have to, I think we all have to give it to underground racing because when I was in high school, this is actually an idea that I had. I wanted to do what they did. I wanted to be the first high performance company that started building badass, most ridiculous twin turbo kits to push these exotics, you know, the, the, everything from 458s to, the, the Lamborghini Aventura that they had to a thousand plus, like really fucking like push them to their ridiculous, insane limit, which is, it's a fantastic platform to do it on because it already, I mean, you know, when these cars are engineered, obviously a lot of the engineers that make up the chassis and the carbon monocoques and all that, they do, they know what they're doing. Like they, they understand that, Hey, especially now with, with twin turbo technology, which has really exploded. And that's another thing that's become the norm right now. Twin turbo, everybody now is twin turbo. Everybody, the 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 and what what disappoints me with some of these things is that like with 911 with the Porsche 911, the new 911 everything from 20 uh shit 2018 I think 2018 to 2017 plus even the non turbo like the not the 911 turbo but the the, the regular fucking 911s now are, are turbo. That's I, I mean is it awesome? Yes, but is it is it kind of now it's getting a little. I think it's getting a little stupid. I understand that they have to inject as much turbo technology as they can to make engines more efficient and and and, and to continue giving you power. You know, like power and torque. That's great. But um, but yeah, companies like Underground Racing, man, that make I mean the three thousand horsepower Hurricanes on a, on a car that you could drive down the street to to to, to your local grocery shop and go get the uh, go back go get some water, go buy some groceries at a three. Thousand horsepower exotic Lamborghini. That's that's amazing. That goes to show the engine management technology how far that's gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty crazy. I mean, the 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 day and age we live in for car enthusiasts is insane. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we're I think we're at the pinnacle because there are a lot of things going on obviously like especially with europe that they're trying to discuss about that by 20 i think it's 2025 or 2020 either 2025 or 2023 20 2030 they were saying that they want in europe specifically they want to try to go all electric which yeah that's a scary looking thing i don't i don't know what the I don't even know what to think about that. that's a i think that's another conversation because i didn't want to i don't, I don't want to go too crazy on this but so since we're talking about supercars um let's get into the c8 so um, I think you did a lot of research uh, for your for for a couple of the uh, YouTube videos that you put out talking about the 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 future of the of hopefully we're gonna get 
what we, what we will be called the Zorro, um, the C801 and the C806. Is there anything that we haven't covered with, uh, that you haven't covered on your channels that maybe you'd want to bring up? Because I, I thought there was a couple things that maybe we can cover. Uh, as far as the C8 goes, not really. Um, I mean, there's the majority of what we talk about for the, you know, the higher up performance models is going to be mostly rumors at this point. But right. the 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 thing with that is, is the reason I feel comfortable putting that out in a video is because basically every single rumor I heard about the original C8 base model before it came out all ended up being true. So. Right. Whenever I read something online about like the CHZ06 having a flat plane crank engine, I could almost put money on the fact that car is coming out with a flat plane crank engine. It, it is talked about way too often for anything else to, to happen. Right. So would you say that, because um, that was something I, I, I don't think we went over uh, before we spoke, but was that something that do you think, so like we talked about, so the C7, excuse me, the CHZ06 is supposed to be is not going to because that's a lot of the, that's a lot of the hope actually the hope that I had and a lot of C six zero six guys I think had that they were going to bring back the the LS seven which I, I really think should be one of the first things that they should do if they brought back the LS seven you know again the the ability of that car in the C six zero six was I mean the engine was amazing yeah. I, I think they really I, what I was hoping for and I always wanted to have this happen was. And we've seen the ability that that car, that that engine, excuse me, keep on saying car, that that engine, uh, the ability that that engine had, man, on boost is mm -hmm. ridiculous. I mean, on 10 pounds of boost, whether you're a twin turbo or you're a centrifugal supercharger or you're a single turbo or if you're a root style supercharger, any of those force induction applications, 10 pounds of boost, you're making... 750 780 800 yep. all day long that's amazing like on pump gas so um do, do you really think do you, would you say that there's a chance or well is... yes there is but i'm gonna say yes and no because it's kind of an interesting twist here so right. it, i went back and watched some of my older videos and one of them was I was talking about the C8, uh, just the base C8 Stingray, and where it was going to be revealed. So, again, this was a rumor initially, and it, it was a rumor that this car was going to be revealed in, in California, and it was, gonna, it was being held in some blimp uh, hangar. And I was like, okay, well, you know, this doesn't sound overly credible, but I'm going to throw it out there because all these rumors up to this point have been right. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. So this same person sent me a private email and said that he had some insight from a, an inside worker on this C8 Z06. And he said that this, this car was actually going to come in two different models. Okay. So it was going to be like a Z06 and then maybe the Z06 with the Z07 package. Right. And he said one of them was going to have an LS7, a reworked oh, LS7, and it was also going to be available in a manual transmission. Oh, that'll be amazing. Yeah, that would be and that's sick. That's why he sent it to me because I'm such an advocate of the manual transmission that right. every video I talked about the C8, I, I consistently said this car sounds awesome. I just really wish it had a manual offering. Right. right. So then he said that the the Z07 package car was the one that was going to get the flat plane crank engine and you know the carbon ceramic rotors, just like the Z07 did with the the C7 Corvette. Mm -hmm. But 
while while saying this, the big problem exists to me is that GM had an issue with the LS7. And yes. yeah, we know the LS7. The, the... Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, the LS7 in the C6, there was a problem with. And then they chose to put the LS7 in the fifth generation Camaro Z28. And it was the same engine. It had the same problems. Now, GM says that this problem existed in less than 10% of the customers' cars that were purchased, which could be true. I don't don't know what the actual numbers are. But either way, it was an issue. And unless GM totally retools that LS7 to guarantee that that's not going to ever be an issue again, right. I really don't see GM putting that that engine in the car. The issue, the issue we're talking about is the uh, the um, dropping of the valve, right? The valve that's dropping. Right. Okay, yep. um, that's something that I'm glad you also brought up because the valve drop um, that was something that I believe when they put it into the ZL1 they. It still had the same problem. There were still a certain amount of, of people, of customers, of, of Z, Z01 customers that were having the same problem. Excuse me, Z, Z28 customers that were having the same problem? Yes, they were. I actually looked into it because I love the sound of the LS7. That, that seven, seven liter, I mean, you can't freaking beat that. You can't, but can't beat that. I, uh, I looked into it because I actually used to have, like I said, a fifth generation ZL1, and I was looking into possibly getting a Z28. Right. And uh, I love the LS7 engine, but yeah, they were having all the same problems. Because I, I, I'll tell you this, um, that's something I went over as well. I just never went into detail. I'd love to have him. I'm going to have to invite him onto the podcast as well. He's just very hard to get a hold of. My friend at Picard, he's very, I mean, they work that guy at 70 hours, literally 70 hours a week. And he's just, I don't know what's been going on lately, but I actually reached out to him, told him, hey, look, I'd love to have you on the podcast. He said, yeah, yeah, dude, I'm going to do a podcast when <laughs> when I get the time. I said, all right, man, all right. But um, it's something I'd like to go over with him. Um, I have a good friend of mine also who's got a C606. He... Because most people, what they'll do is that when they when they know that they're in that in that in that camp, when they know that they're in that group, most people what they did was actually go. They would go, okay, fine, fuck it, let's cam the car and we'll do a we'll do the heads and cam. And that's obviously not a bad thing to do. Um, yes, I think it's something that they have to obviously they have to take care of. But we saw. I was going to ask you as well because it's something we skipped over. Did you have any uh, heating issues with your C7 Z06, like the big heat problem, the heat soak problem that people were having with their uh, C7 Z06? I know that was another problem that the GM literally said, "Okay, look, guys, we've 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 fixed this problem for the C8. We're not going to have this problem with the C8," which I I believe they did, but we shall see because we haven't had. I don't think we've had anybody really. I I, I think that's something that's already been written off uh, for sure, right? Yeah. So, not the best. Uh, example of how GM takes care of its customers, but basically the ZR1 was the answer to the overheating problems with the Z06. Okay. It's not at all how I think they should have handled it, but mm. that's ultimately why the ZR1 exists right okay. now is because really? of that. But with that said, no, I had no problems with my Z06, but uh, at Car- Corvettes at Carlisle in mm-hmm. 2018, Mm-hmm. I walked by one of the booths where Harlan Charles, which is one of the head guys there at GM, was talking about the overheating issue and flat out said to everybody listening, and I, I tried to get my camera on in time to record this, but he said there has never been a documented case of the manual transmission Z06 overheating on the track. That's ridiculous. So, <laughs> the, well, it's it's not if you think about it because – all the it? all the examples I've seen have all been automatics. Automatics. Yeah, they're they're yeah, the but... ones overheating because of 
what was done with the Z06, specifically the manual, to help with heat uh, problems was mm-hmm. an additional uh, coolant radiator put at the bottom part of the front opening. Oh, well, that and would, yeah, that would definitely fix the problem. They did that, and obviously the manuals continued to have no problems, but the issue was that the automatics already had a cooler there for the automatic transmission, so they couldn't add another one there. So all they ended up doing instead was giving it a little bit of a bigger supercharger lid, bigger intercooler bricks, which helped keep intake temperatures down, but did nothing for the transmission temperatures. Right. So at the end of the day, I never had any problems because mine was a manual. Everybody I've talked to who has a manual has never had any problems, but automatic people, they have had issues. Oh, so then that's, see, I'm glad you brought, we brought that up because I had no idea. I thought it was an overall because I actually worked at um, for a while. I was the manager at a, a, a you know big, a pretty famous uh, GM only uh, shop, high performance shop, and we we had actually. But to tell the truth, the now that I think of it, the only customers that were complaining about that, you're right, they were automatics, they weren't manual. I never even thought of asking, oh, is this a manual or automatic problem? I thought it was an overall. Okay, so then that's a that's a good, and it makes sense. The the solution for it, obviously, the engineering solution for that was just the the radiator, which makes perfect sense. Um, yeah, because I believe the, uh, you have the LT5 motor, right? And the Z01. Yes. Okay. And so the charger on that is, I think, what is it? 10, no, 5% bigger than the one on the Z06? Um, no, it's, bigger. it's significantly bigger. I can't remember the exact percentage, but the, uh, the LT4 supercharger was, oh, man, I'm going to have to look this up, but it's, uh, I, I know they're Edens. I know that they're still, yeah. so that I know. But yeah, no, it's okay. You, you don't have to go crazy with the with the detail. I was just asking. I thought maybe there was a because so it's a yeah. big. So I, I actually have it here. It was 1.7 liter supercharger for the LT4, and it's a, a 2.95 for the LT5. So it's oh, that's hum- That's a holy yeah. shit. <laughs> yeah, it's a big supercharger. Wow, damn, a 2.9. Yeah, God yeah, it's damn, huge. It's huge. That's why yeah. they had to cut out the hood and everything because it needed that extra room. Right. Wow. Yeah, that's and that's and I'll tell you that's because um, I've been talking to a couple people from the, the C8 group who I also want to invite over. Um, and I'll tell you uh, the guys that have actually gotten their C8. And there's one guy in particular, a very cool guy. His name is Don. Um, we're talking about getting him. We're trying to figure out what wheels we're going to go with on his car and this and that. Obviously, this whole coronavirus thing has kind of put a hold on all that. But um, we are also talking about doing some really cool stuff. Like we want to do a cross country trip um, for a YouTube yeah. channel. And that was uh, something that we'll probably talk about after the, the podcast, man. I wanted to just kind of go over those details with you. But just a couple of really cool ideas um, and do some very special things in between, obviously, not just driving, you know, because that's boring. But um, we sp- I spoke to him. He's thinking about doing a twin turbo um, setup, you know, probably I don't know. If, I don't think it's going to be a ligand filter uh, kit, but he wants to have a high performance shop that he knows the owner and knows that they do good work to do their own custom kit. And, you know, I said, listen, man, uh, as much as I love twin turboing a C8, which there's going to be a lot of people doing, um, dude, I really think the car needs a rig style supercharger. Like, and we kind of bounced ideas back and forth. We, he had done some measurements and he did notice that if anybody that's going to be doing this, they're going to have to deal with two things. First, it's the space. There's very little space to put anything in between the the charger the motor and the uh where it sits in the engine bay um the first thing i thought of was well all we have to do is drop 
maybe a half an inch, maybe a quarter inch, just to get a little more space to get the pulley, the snout of the charger with the pulley and the belt. The problem is that you'd have to be cutting into the, I believe it's the radiator support, and obviously you don't want to do that. So the other solution would be not to look, and if, if you try lowering the engine now that it's a complete unit by itself with the transmission, because it's a, I mean, it's a complete, it's, it's a super component, basically. It's, it's been built in a way where everything is together with the transmission with the engine. That's a big problem because you can't just now lower the engine because then that then you're talking about a simple motor mount. You know, like a custom motor mount could drop the engine however much you need. But when you include the transmission, now you talk about doing that for the whole transmission. And if you move all those components, you know, now you're starting to get into a, an engineering <laughs> nightmare. So the only thing I thought of was if obviously, and there, there probably is going to be like, I'm sure TVS is maybe going to come up with a, a kid and Kenny Bell, Whipple, all the, you know, all the manufacturers will probably be coming up with some cool kids. But I truly believe that a supercharger is the way to go with this car. Not that twin turboing is not the way to go. I'm just saying that I think to, 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 to have just that, obviously, I mean, that's a whole other conversation. I don't want to get into that because then we'll be here for another three hours, but you know, it's just the, what I see is that everybody's going to go with a twin turbo with this car, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, Lingenfelter already announced their kit. They put up their videos. We saw all that on the group chat and on YouTube. I mean, literally, they, I think they just got their car within a week, or they probably had been building the kit and you know mocking up uh, dimensions and stuff like that. But they, I think they put together, they they installed the charge uh, the twin turbo kit in like a week. Uh, I think it was because they had gotten their car. Maybe not. Maybe they had their car for a little bit earlier and they've just you know been kind of holding off on posting anything but i mean it's lean filter you know i would hope that they could do it that quick you know they have the, they have the funds and the resources to do it but um yeah. i you know it'd be really cool to see us the first person that that's what i told this guy i said hey don dude you know it'd be really cool man if we had the first brood style supercharger ca man in the country that would be fucking awesome in the world He's like, yeah, man, I like the idea, I like the idea, but I just think that there's going to be, you know, if we're going to do it, there's going to be a lot of, we're going to have to talk about a lot of things, you know, there's not going to yeah. just be like, bolt this thing on there and get a, you know, like a, a you could get a, yeah, you could do a custom uh, inlet uh, or bottom mount uh, bracket for the, uh, for the charger where it sits, the, the uh, not the bracket, the, uh, the plate, a custom supercharger uh, bottom plate and just yeah. be able to bring it up just that much so it wouldn't touch the, you know, the, the pulley and the belt wouldn't be rumbling on or anything and touching anything. So well, there, 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 there are ways of doing it, but I don't know. Yeah, the, the, the big thing that stands out to me, and uh, this is going to kind of go back to the C7ZR1 again, is the, uh, the fabrication, the imagination, everything involved in getting this car twin-turboed or supercharged, that's not really the hard part. Uh, right. I know there's people out there with the kit already ready to go, but... The hard part is a, super, a supercharger kit. Oh, I don't know about the supercharger. I was talking about oh, the twin turbo. The twin turbo but yeah. The hardest part of all this is custom tuning. Yes. So the ECU yes. is not unlocked, and right. even with the C7ZR1, it took a little over a year. A year. From the, yeah. The time that the car first came out before someone even partially it. cracked it. Now. Yeah. With that said, the, the ECU in the ZR1 is not even fully cracked at this point. You can't right. just dive in there and tune it. You actually have to replace the entire ECU right. to get it done. So yeah, you got to go with a standalone. 
Yeah, and that's that's fine for the ZR1, but if you read up on the architecture of the C8, you can't. GM improved the architecture even yeah. further and increased security even further that it, there's a good chance, a, a pretty good chance, it's never going to get cracked. And I, I think, I don't want to interrupt you, I think, because that's, again, awesome point that you brought up. Um, I think what's supposed to happen there, I think, what they're trying to do is that, obviously, this is all over control, right? Yeah. They don't want anybody touching their brand new baby. And I think that I get it, but I don't. Because they right. know, they know that this is, I mean, it's still a Corvette, right? It's a supercar. Well, I don't want to go back into that conversation. But <laughs> right. it's, it's, the, it's the C8, and I get they don't want anybody touching it. But they know that, especially now with how amazing all the high-performance components that you can purchase today are, how, how amazing they can be, and you can build kits, and there are a very lot of talent and excuse me, talented high-performance shops that will do a fantastic job with this. So I find it, I think what they're trying to do is this, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is what they're going to do. They're going to come up with some type of program like a lot of these uh, tuning software companies and tuning hardware companies do. And what they'll do is they, hey, look, you can download, you know, our piggyback system and purchase our product, but you have to, uh, you have to pay for the licensing. And I think that is what they're going to do with either high-performance shops or I don't know, because people like Lingenfilter obviously did it to a turbo kit. They got obviously they they for sure have some type of relationship there going on with, with Chevy, and that's why they probably have the you know the know-how. Or they're doing with standalone. I think they're probably it, it could be both ways. I don't know. I have no idea. I haven't spoken to anybody from Lingenfilter. I haven't researched it. But I, I I understand why they're doing it, but I think that they need to let that go already because everybody else has done the same thing as well. It's not just GM, right? Uh, the GTR guys had a big problem with that for years yep. as well. Uh, M3 guys, M4 guys, uh, BMW people, uh, th that whole community, they're also having problems because I, I have a good friend of mine who, um, he's here in Miami, amazing guy. He actually developed a, it's an amazing kit, amazing kit. It's not even, I mean, it is a, a, well, what I like to call it is a, it's a twin turbo kit that will, without a built motor, make 800 horsepower all day long which is amazing for uh, about $10,000. Um, and what's amazing about their kit was that their engineer designed it in a way where literally, literally when you replace the kit and you take the car to a, any dealer and they run the diagnostic computer on it, they will not, the only reason they know is because of the diagnostics. But if they were to look at the components, the actual twin turbo kit itself, they would never know it's been replaced, which is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, so, so that's that's what I was going to say with why GM's doing this. That is the only reason. So at the end of the day, GM, they all have a pretty good idea. People buy their Corvettes and they modify them. That's that's basically what people do with Corvettes, especially the older ones. You can easily throw, you know, three, four grand at it and almost double the horsepower for, you know, almost no money. Yeah. But at the end of the day, that doesn't matter anymore because that car is not under warranty. Whereas right. the C8's new, the C7 uh, ZR1 still new enough that if you're throwing all kinds of crazy stuff at it and you're tuning it and then you try to take it in for warranty repair, if someone ever comes up with the way to hide a fact or a aftermarket tune, right. then companies like GM, I mean, they're, they're screwed because right. people are going to be bringing in things left and right that have been blown up because of a bad tune that they can't detect. So 
That's why GM wants to try to stop this, but at the same time, they know it is technically a necessary evil. So, I mean, there's no win on GM's side because they want people to be able to modify, but at the same time, they don't want to be fixing people's mess-ups, so they have to keep it locked. Exactly. I I think, I I would say this. um, I'm sorry, I didn't want to interrupt you. Go ahead. You You were about to say something. Yeah, if I had to guess at some point, I think GM is going to cave on it and offer some sort of program where they tune or they have certain companies that they work with that will tune and still right. carry a warranty. Right. And that's and there's actually uh, – we've seen that. Um, yeah. Uh, who is it? Uh, I think – well, not to mention their name again, but Linkenfilter, I believe, has a program like that. Hennessy has a program yeah. like that. Um, and I think that's a good thing. Well, that's um, that's different though because those are offered from them, not right from them, GM. not 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 with GM. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That it'll get to the point, like what we're talking right. about. It'll get to that point where they're going to have to do that in order to try. And I get it. I look, if I was GM, I understand. I, I you're right. I would not want you know hundreds of cars coming in for. And look, look at the guy that broke the, the drive shaft. What's his name? Actually, it was Carlisle, right? Car- Carlisle Racing yeah. was the guy. Yeah. Yep. I got to have him on the podcast as well. Um, I'd love to have a conversation with him about that. Um, with things like that, I think what's happening is that, you know, back in the 2004, uh, the, the Terminator Cobra days, right, when we had the C5Z06 and that battle, it was the, it was something very similar happened. You had a lot. I, I don't know if it got into the thousands, but it was definitely – hundreds of cobras that were going out to the track because of the independent rear suspension. I'm going to say exactly what it was. It was an ancient independent rear suspension, but unfortunately it was still an independent suspension. Drove as good as it could, but because it didn't have a solid rear axle, uh, a solid, um, excuse me, a uh, solid, uh, hold on, I just blanked out. It, because it didn't have, yeah, exactly, it didn't have a solid rear uh, axle, um, there was people that were, you know, they were, they had just, I mean, there was the nitrous guys, right? That were spraying 200 shot plus. There was the guys that were trying to run out and buy out the the, the biggest Kenny Bill at the time, which I believe was a 2.2. And then I went over to a 2.6 and then they had the 2.9 and all that, uh, or 2.8, excuse me. And then Whipple came out with their 2.9 and all that. And you had these guys, dude, that were launching the car 5,000 RPM with an independent rear that's not even meant to do that. Right. You know, on slicks, and they were dropping into it. Happened to one of my friends when we went racing, and and he wasn't even trying to. <laughs> the car was stock as shit, and that car was a lemon. But he even dropped his independent rear suspension and broke it in half. And it got so bad that that Ford was actually sending out, uh, I guess, informants, if you want to call them, agents from you know, uh, probably guys from the certain dealerships that they were going to, you know, because the big track days were being announced everywhere. And imagine they were going out to track days and writing down the license plate numbers of the Cobras that they were seeing taking a shit. And then when they would come in next Monday, like, it's like, oh, sorry, sir. Uh, You are fucked because we saw you and here's the information that we saw. We took out your tag at the drag strip and we saw you launching your car five grand. So you, sir, can go fuck yourself. But I get it. They want to avoid that. And that's fair. That's fair. You know, that that's totally fair. I totally understand it. But I think that people also now are taking a different as uh, a different like like these guys from Carlisle. I think they knew they were going to break it. Yeah. I think they had an inclination. They just were like, let's push it to the point where we do break it. And they don't care. You know, they're like, hey, we'll fix it. It's cool. We'll, we'll rebuild it after that and then we'll make it better and then we'll make it indestructible. Hey, right. awesome. 
Cool. If you got the money to throw at a car like that, you could do that. Fantastic. Go ahead and do it. You know, and it's well documented. But um, there has to be a, a at least a happy medium where you don't go that yeah. crazy, because these cars now. I'll tell you this. And the Hurricane, and I, 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 I have to bring it up again with, with underground racing. I'll tell you this, man. The Hurricane is one of those cars that you could look at. And I've driven a lot of them. Uh, I haven't driven a twin turbo one yet, but uh, that should be coming soon. There's a, a, a guy on Facebook that actually, a friend of mine that actually just got a twin turbo kit from, not from underground racing, it was from Alpha. He got, I think, the 1,000, either the 1,000 or 1,200, and he just got his car done. He said he was going to become Miami soon. So that might be something upcoming that will be really cool to do a video on and to do a podcast on. But I'll tell you this, you can, the transmission, the dual transmission on these cars have really been beefed up. Like they really have been put, built super solid. They even people that are pushing it to a thousand, even, and I'll tell you the same thing goes for the C7, right? When I was working at the shop, we had a gentleman come down from, I think he was from Montana, man. Guy was super cool. Had just had had just had uh, gotten he had taken his C seven zero six to some shop that really did not what the they had no clue what the fuck they were doing. They had the car on the dyno, and I think they were just trying to they were trying to tune something that they had never done. They had never touched the C seven zero six. So I he actually called me while the car was there. He's like, "Look, guys, uh, how you doing? I know you guys are the best in Florida." I think I should bring my Z, my, my Z06 down to you guys because I'm having problems at the shop. I said, yes, yes, for sure. Get the hell, get get it. Call a tow truck right now. Get the get it off that dyno and, you know, come come down and ship it down to us. So he he literally came to me and said, look, what can I do to make this the fastest Z06? Let's say it, at least in my, in not in my city, but because he, he lived like, I mean, literally the guy was like a farmer, but super cool guy, Um, had uh, inherited a bunch of, um, uh, agriculture property from his from his uh you know from his family and all he wanted to do was beat the shit out of uh, basically he wanted to beat everybody who would who would challenge him to a race said okay look that's impossible okay unless you're talking about like 2000 plus horsepower and even then because you might have someone that'll go and say oh yeah you want to race let's go motherfucker. and then he's got 25 or 2400 and he beats the shit out of you so it's a hard, it's a hard thing to say. It's a hard thing to sell someone. Hey, I want to smoke everybody in the world. Okay, well if you do, sorry, you need three thousand horsepower. And then, yeah. <laughs> so, but I told him realistically, look, look, let's do this. Um, the, uh, at the time, there was a Edelbrock had just come up with their supercharger for the C seven Z six. They had, uh, we had a very good relationship. The shop had a very good relationship with them, working with them. So I, I suggested, look, let's do this. He had a beautiful car. It was a um, it was a, unfortunately it was an automatic, so it wasn't. But you know the guy was older, so I, I understand why he purchased it. It wasn't you know he's not a fifty year old guy here. It was like almost sixty years old. So um, I said, come down, bring the car, and we'll slap that little rock on there. We'll do our cam, our stage two cam on it. You know he didn't want to go stage three because stage three is like I I tried to push him to stage three, but he's like, look, I want the car to be drivable. I'm like, look, it will be drivable, but it's gonna rock like a motherfucker. He's like, you know what? That actually sounds ridiculous and, and not like bad ridiculous, like good ridiculous. I'm like, look, it's up to you. So then what I did was we had a car that had the stage three. He he looked at the videos that I sent him. He's like, look, the reason I don't want to go with the stage three is that um, obviously we were going to do a, a, a pretty much a full exhaust as well. And even with the with the keeping uh, the valve tronic system on the car, it was it was going to be. 
he wanted to raise people for money, like for serious money. So he kind of wanted a sleeper setup, but, you know, setting it up in a way where it, it would be sleeper, but not fully sleeper, not a car that you would look at and go, oh, that car's bone stock, you know? So that was the reason why I didn't go with the stage two, uh, stage three. So we went with the stage two cam, the Ellerbrock system, the Ellerbrock supercharger they had. Dude, car was sick. Car made 790. I want to say it was on 12, maybe a little bit above 12 pounds because it was not on an E85. And I asked him, do you want to go on E85? He's like, well, what would, what would we have to do to do E85? I said, look, first of all, let's, let's answer the first question that we need to find out from you, which is your foundation. What do you want the car to do? He says, I want to run a nine. Do you want to run a low nine? Do you want to run a mid nine? Do you want to run a high nine? Or do you want to be right there with eights? He's like, I want to be able to run at least close enough to a mid nine or get down to that level with minimal things after we do everything. I said, okay, cool. So we, he brought the car down. We did everything that uh, the supercharger, the stage two, full exhaust. Dude, Justin, take a guess at what the car ran on the, the first time we ran it down the track. Eight, nine. No, eight nine would be <laughs> that would be insane. The car ran eight. <laughs> I mean, because I even and I even told him we're gonna do a drag pack because he wanted a drag pack. I, I I was the one that kind of walked him through everything. I'm like, what are you gonna use the car for? That's the most important thing. Foundation, you know, like what to use the car for. And so we 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 established that we would do a drag pack. Uh, so we did the the drag pack from CCW. Um, we got him some nice meaty. Uh, I believe we went with Mickey Thompson's. Um, I think it was like forties. Because he didn't, he didn't want it ridiculous, but he wanted the car to hook. Um, and so the car actually ran a nine, I believe it was a nine, either a nine seven or nine eight at a hundred and forty plus. I don't remember the mile per hour was up there, and I, he was super happy. He's like, "Holy shit, this is fast!" And it, it wasn't even it didn't even break eight hundred. So I said, "Okay, the next step, if you want to go any like if you want to push a thousand, we can do that, but." we're going to have to go ahead and, and go a little crazy with the fuel system. You know, we're going to have to go full 85. You're going to have to do a dual system so you could switch back and forth. He said, okay, that'll be stage two. Let me get used to this first. I'll come back a couple months. So um, I ended up leaving that shop. So we, we, I don't know if he ever did come back and did the fuel system. But the fact is, what, what I'm trying to get to here is that people with manual the seven-speed manual transmission and the automatic eight-speed, Dude, a thousand plus horsepower and nobody's having any problems. Hmm. So what I'm trying to say is that GM has done their research so, so much so that they said, look, guys, we have to, we, we know that people are going to push a thousand plus horsepower. We need to make sure that things don't break. So transitioning that into the C8, I believe it's the same exact thing. Now, the thing with the axle, hey, look. It's not that's not what this car is meant for. It's not meant to be put, you know, a full drag uh, a drag tire on it and go to the you know go to the uh, to the drag strip and on a on a on a prep track and you know launch it at five grand and, and not expect not to break something. Um, the forces that are involved, man, when you do that to a car, I mean, yeah. it's a lot. You know, I had a conversation once with a, a very smart guy. He was an engineer as well, and he told me he's like, dude, you don't understand when you hear uh, knocking in an engine or even pinging dude that's like do you know how loud that is inside the engine for you to hear it outside <laughs> right. of a sealed fucking engine like a combustion you know a, an internal combustion motor i'm like yeah I, that, that's a good point but um so what i'm trying to say with all this is that the c8 
I, I believe they've done the same thing with the C8, you know. I'm sure it's going to be the, thing, the same thing with the Z06. Um, and like you said, because we didn't even talk about that, but with the ZR1 of the Zora, which might even go up to 1,000 plus horsepower, stock from the factory, the, the components are going to have to, they're going to have to be able to hold that amount of power, right, mm-hmm. for, for years on end. Like, I have yet to even hear of anybody that has had a C7Z06, um, you know, blow up their transmission. Now, it's not like I'm, I, I don't have friends that have 1,600 horsepower, 1,400 horsepower ones. But the fact that they're holding 1,000 horsepower, like, we had several customers in that shop that, I mean, the, it was amazing. The the, the dealer, it, we looked like a C7Z06 dealership. It was, I mean, we had, like, 10 C7Z06 that all wanted stage one, stage two, stage three. Uh, the the kits that we had, and it was sick, and no, nobody was having a problem, you know. And, and these people were pushing the cars. These weren't just like people like just you know like getting on the throttle once every once a month, you know. You could really beat the shit out of these cars. So same thing goes for the Hurricane. I mean, Porsche also went that way as well uh, when they came out with the the last nine nine seven Turbo S. There was a review that I think Evo magazine had that dude. It was sick. They got the car in their hands and they go, okay, guys. We're going to be doing a a pushing to the limits test. We are going to launch the 911 Turbo S 50 times in a row at its at its you know at its highest uh, launch. I think that that car launched a, a little bit above 5,000, like 57 or 6,000. I don't think it goes above that. I think I think you can adjust it. I'm not too sure on the Porsche, but it's it's up there. They launched the car back to back to back 50 times. The car did not skip a beat. So I, I think we were, you know, I think when you're spending that amount of money that, that everybody is spending on these cars, you know what? Fuck yeah. I, I'm, I'm glad that this is the new norm, you know, because what the hell, you know, you're, you're spending money for it. But this, this was not the situation just 15, 20 years ago, 17 years ago. I mean, you said, actually, that was another thing I wanted to bring up, Justin. You said you were maybe interested in getting a, a C5 Z06, correct? Or you had found one that was good price? Yeah, I, I'm actually still looking, but yeah. okay, cool. Yeah, I mean the the the, the transmission on those. I mean, I, I think what's happening is that since everything is being pushed to the limit, that at least the engineering of these cars is is really being well thought of. You know, as far as like, okay, what are people going to use this car for? It's like GM knows their their customers, you know, and obviously there's a huge portion of their customers that are you know long time customers that have been buying Corvettes since the C1. And they're still around. And obviously, they're buying C8s. But it's a big, broad range of, uh, you know, the, the Corvette used to only be for the person that could afford it, right? Like that older guy, that older person that had been around for a while, you know, has established some type of good financial income. And and obviously, now with dealerships, the way they are with financing, I, there's all, it, it brings up the, the, broad, the spectrum to a bigger audience that can actually afford like you said, a car that could perform well. Like you said, you consider it a supercar. I consider it a sports car that has supercar abilities. But um, but yeah, um, I think that it's it's very interesting. Like we said, it's a very interesting time to be living to be a car enthusiast. Um, and this is not even mentioning any of the hypercars, the stuff that we're going to be seeing now with the Aston Martin. I mean, well, we had the Aston Martin Vulcan that pushed things to the new level, the P1, the 918, and LaFerrari. 
and now you have fucking the new Aston Martin, the the Valkyrie, and the the Mercedes uh, AMG uh, AMG G, was it AMG One? Oh my god, I can't believe I'm fucking this up. The AMG GT One. Um, who else? I'm trying to think who else is coming up. Um, actually, those are the two cars that came to mind. Is there anybody else that I'm? Oh, that's right. What am I talking about? The Koenig and Jesco. Um, Obviously, Pagani. Well, Pagani hasn't been doing anything new lately. They they're just still sticking with the Huayra, and the Huayra. I think they're still trying to make uh, last iterations of that car. Uh, they they're probably going to be coming up with something soon. Oh, the Apollo, dude. Did you did you see that new fucking Apollo? The the um, uh, what's it called? The Evolutionary. Uh, it's the Evolutionary. Uh, Evolusi. Hold on, I'm trying to remember the name of it. Oh my god, I can't believe it. I have a picture of this thing. My folder here. Have you have you seen that car, Justin? I have not. Oh, dude, it's ridiculous. It's called the Apollo Intensa uh, Emusione. I mean, it's it's. Let me tell you, Apollo. Uh, you know, they really never had a history of making a proper. I mean, they made a radical, radical. I think you could call it more of a track day car than it was an actual driving car. You were supposed to be able to drive it, but it was. You know the the seating position was almost ninety degrees. I mean, it was it was like a it was like trying to drive a GT3 Cup car on the street, and that's. I know we always want that, but trust me, when you actually purchase a car like that, I mean, I do. I would want that, but there's a lot of people that you put them in that car and they're like, "Hey, whoa, whoa, what the fuck is this? I can't drive this on the street," you know. But with the Apollo, I actually got to see it at that uh, at the concourse. Um, I gotta I gotta I'm, I'm gonna have to do a podcast on some people. Uh, some of the actually the Apollo team was there, and I actually got their car. I'm going to see about calling them and, and getting them on. But, dude, if you look it up, I'll send you some links to it. It is a fucking ridiculously insane. I mean, you look at it and you think, holy shit, I can't even believe this is a streetcar. And it is. It has an X-Track transmission. I mean, that's a that's a race car. That's a Le Mans race car transmission. That's a GT3 cup car transmission. That's not a transmission. And they actually made it so you could drive that thing on the street. It's street legal. So that, I think, is one of the things that what we were talking about. This is the most interesting time, I think, on the face of the earth uh, of, uh, as far as the automotive uh, industry is going to, to be alive because that, that's a new thing, man. That's a pretty new thing. You know, um, hypercars that literally have race car components and they're being – they're being built in a way where you can actually use them on a daily basis if you really wanted to. And that's another thing that I think changed in the supercar world, which I'm glad it changed the way it did. Because 30 years ago, eh, 20, 25 years ago, you know, like uh, with the Ferrari 360 and, and, and trying to think maybe the Ferrari 430, things were not there yet. You know, I mean, they were, they were supposedly cars you could drive every day, but the 360 was a fucking ballless i mean that thing was I, I hated that car i think it was the most generic car that Ferrari ever made i hated that car i know there's people that love it but i just think it was just a waste of uh, a waste of money but then again porsche has also pushed the 911 to levels that you know with the gt3 well first the gt3 then the gt3 rs then now the gt2 rs um but yeah i think my only gripe with newer cars and I think it's something cool that that Chevy is trying to fight back a little bit, and a couple of other manufacturers are fighting back as well. My only big problem with newer cars right now is how big they are and how much they weigh. Yeah, I think I think that would be 
one of the biggest problems. And we are hopefully going to start seeing smaller cars. And I think we have. Like, there's cars like the Catrim, uh, the Aero Atom, which is a man. That's a. Have you have you ever seen one in person? No, dude. I mean, it is a go- it is a street legal go kart, but oh, man, huh. it's a it's such a fucking cool and the, and the performance of that car is just it, it's it's one of the most exhilarating cars you could drive because it, it literally is a, a four wheel a four wheeled motorcycle is what that car is. But um, dude, sorry, I, I'm going off here. I wanted to ask you, um, uh, Justin. I don't know any anything else. I think we kind of covered a lot here. Um, uh oh wait that's right two things two things sorry i i just i have in front of me so i wanted to ask you so justin on the forge lines uh the nw103 what um what did you think of the wheel man i think it looks awesome Um, you like them yeah i like i i've always liked that style but i'm still kind of on the fence with the whole going bronze gold versus just sticking with black so right so on the on the forge line let me ask you this so for your ZR1, because I did, that was the other thing I wanted to talk to you about um, and just cover before we we, uh, we ended the podcast, was you did state in one of your videos that I watched that you were thinking about getting wheels for the ZR1. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. What wheel have you thought of the wheel options that I gave you as far as uh, Brixton, the different designs that I sent you with the PF5 and the PF1? Is there something that you do... You tell me. I mean, is it something that's striking that you think, wow, this is a absolutely gorgeous wheel that I think would look awesome in the ZR1? Well, really, the the option in the app is the the one I've seen so far that I like the most. But that okay. same that same kind of design, um, there was a couple different companies I was looking at that had a very similar design to that. But okay, that's but that's ultimately th- what I'm going to go with. I think. I, right before the podcast, I didn't want you to miss it. I had texted you actually two pictures of a wheel called the PF1 and on a Z06, on a C7 Z06. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you what you thought of that. Um, I I like that, but I believe I believe that's the same wheel that Street Speed uses on his car. Is it? Um, I'd have to look up Street Speed. I don't think I've ever seen their car. But I don't think so, because this is a pretty unique wheel. Let me let me see. I can just look them up right now. Is it is it a specific is Street Speed just a specific is it a shop or is it an actual like a person? It's a YouTuber. Oh, it's a YouTuber. Okay, let me see. Yeah. Let me see what's going on here. Street Speed, you said? Street Speed 717. Oh, 717. Okay. Yeah, I just found it right now. Let me see. Corvette 01. I don't think so. I don't think so. But let's see. Let me look up. Uh do you know if this is a this is a wheel that? Uh, let me see. Let me see. Oh, oh yes. Yep, that's a PF one. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, that I is the same so. wheel. That is the okay. same wheel. All yeah, right. Well, that that's fair. Obviously, you don't want to get something that someone else has. A, another YouTube, you don't want to. You know, that would that would suck. That would not be a cool. Um, what do you think of the PF five? Because that's more of actually a wheel that the the PF five to kind of go dive into that one. The PF five is actually a wheel that in my opinion, is the wheel that actually turned me to become a Brixton dealer, uh, a dealer for them and actually represent them as a company here in Miami. And I have to say, man, that PF5 is, it's hard to, you could put that, I hate to say this, you could put that wheel on almost any sports car or hypercar and it looks absolutely amazing. But yeah. specifically, I think that on the C8 and on the C7, it really goes with the with the flow of the design and the overall design of the lines, 
that have been put into both cars. Um, and I think on the zero one, it would look very clean. But that's something I wanted to go over with you because if you look at the lines on the, obviously on the on the stock zero one uh, uh, wheels, which I think look fantastic, they're very sharp. Obviously, to try to go with the, the aerodynamics that the zero one has and the front bumper and the rear bumper, the aggressive style that they have and the aggressive lines. But maybe that could also, because sometimes what you could do is have a contrast. And that's also where you want to go with finishes as well. So I don't know. If you want, maybe we could, we could, uh, you could maybe take a look at it. I could, I could do some, um, you know, I could send you some pictures to see what it would look like on the car. Um, but I don't know. What, what do you think of the PF5? Is it something that kind of calls your attention or not so yeah. much? Yeah, the PF5, I, I've, I've always really liked that wheel because that actually kind of reminds me of the wheel that they, that the, um, the, the fifth generation Camaro Z28 comes with. Okay. It has a similar style, and I always liked that wheel. So okay. cool. I think that would look good on, the, on C7 or C8, yeah. Okay. All right. So maybe that's something we could uh, have a conversation about and we could set you up with that. That would be pretty cool. Now, as far as finishes, you're saying that the gold is something you want to try to figure out because there's a couple of different shades of gold that Brixton offers that I think you would like a lot. And the, and the uh, there's a way to actually there, there's different options. Brixton has a lot of ridiculous options. But one of the options that I think is really unique is that the finish itself, not just the color, but the texture of the wheel, they have different textures. So you could do um, like a more rough texture to make it look more like a matte color or the, the other way around. You could have a finish that's called um, brushed and brushed looks, it looks amazing. It, it, that's basically what it is. It's, it, it almost looks like someone took a paintbrush and brushed lines into the color, you know, of the wheel, like when it was being uh, painted or depending on the uh, manufacturer, but Brickson obviously does uh, power coating. And they do a lot of different uh, finish, uh, a lot of different, um, uh, what's it called? Um, when they finish the wheel, when they're, when they put the wheel into the, uh, <laughs> into the oven to do the, um, oh man, I just blanked. The, uh, the, the word I'm looking for is just not coming to mind, but it's, it's when they're finished. Oh, curing. There we go. When they're curing the wheel, uh, they do this really cool brush finish and that looks really cool too. So I could definitely send you some some different samples of that to see what uh, what you think of that and see if maybe we can find a good match. Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. Cool. Um, and yeah, so with the app, man, um, the hall spec, it's something that really we the designer, the owner, really worked very hard to 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 make happen, make a make it a thing. It's something that me coming from the wheel industry. When I saw this, I was like, holy shit, where has this app, you know, where has this person been? Well, what, where has this application been? Because the the one big, I think, problem that we could all agree with, and anybody that's either purchased wheels or in the wheel industry will just be shaking their head when they hear this. The one thing that is yet to change in the wheel industry when someone, you know, with a customer, a potential customer wants to see a certain wheel on their car, this is the process that has to happen. First, you have to find what manufacturer you want to go with. Well, most people, what they do, first of all, is go straight to Google and see if they can find a color of their car, their model, with the yeah. wheel that they're looking for. That's the first thing. Yep. Chances are you might find it, but again, it's not your car. That's someone else's car. Maybe the angle was not in the best. The picture was, you know, you can go to Google Images and find a lot of images. But there might be things that you just, they're not helping you make that decision or pull the trigger. So the next thing, obviously, is you would go, Go to the manufacturer, ask them, hey, look, can I see this wheel? You know, it's 
for example, with Brixton. Oh, can I see the PFI on his year one? Oh, sure, man, sure, not a problem. And obviously, you have to get in line of queue of other all the other people that want to see their wheels on their on their car, um, which usually takes a couple days. And you know, they'll they'll receive the email. They will shoot you an email back with that image. You'll look at the image and go, mm, okay. And maybe the angle that the picture that that you had sent in with the with the wheel on there, maybe you start thinking, oh, but mm, I don't know, maybe from this angle it looks a little bit different. I don't know. I'm starting to not like it this way. And there's a lot of things that go through your mind, especially when purchasing a, a you know, I mean, with these wheels, unfortunately, forged wheels, they go 5,000 plus. It's for a reason. Um, if anybody wants to check out or understand the, the real you know, meaning of why, and understanding why these wheels are so expensive, I actually have a previous podcast that was done before this, uh, before me and Justin's. Um, you guys could check that out, um, you know, on the, on the podcast. Oh, and by the way, guys, just to let everybody know, uh, just got on iTunes and I'm on Spotify, so everybody could check out the podcast through there, which will be great. You could listen to mine, Justice, and all the other podcasts that I've done before. But um, yeah, it's it's not it's not an efficient way of doing things. It's literally the this is how things have been done in the wheel industry now for the past thirty plus years since the wheel industry started, and it's a billion dollar industry. So I think that this app. Um, what it's going to do is going to revolutionize the way that people interact with how they want to see a specific wheel on their car. And what's really cool about it is that there is, uh, I don't know if you know, if you noticed Justin, but once you put the wheel and position it right over your wheel, that's on the car itself. Um, what's amazing about this application is the way that you can, you can go with your phone staring at it and go right up to literally the wheel cap of the wheel zoom all the way in like holding the phone and you can go right up to the wheel it never drops a frame with the with the realism and the photorealistic uh, ability of the wheel the way it looks and it's actually accurate down to a 600 of a human hair so what's what's amazing about that that it really gives the person that's using it the vision of exactly what that would that wheel would look like on their car and i think that's a very special thing because it's something that's been missing in the in the wheel industry as far as a piece of tech uh, for, for since since the wheel industry has been around and since smartphones have gotten to the point of the computing power of where they can handle something like this. So that's um, that's really cool. I, I love the fact that you uh, didn't have any issues with it. Uh, you know, you um, you think it's very user friendly. That's kind of what was built into the application to be as your foot. There is a little bit of a learning curve. So that's why I made that, uh, the, the, you know, there's a couple of instruction videos that we're going to be pu pu putting out. And um, actually coming up, uh, something that we're going to be trying as well, which would be really cool, and I'd love for you to be a part of it, Justin, would be we're going to do a small, uh, we're going to try out a competition that will be done through Instagram, Facebook, anywhere you could post, uh, uh, you know, pictures on, where it's going to be called, uh, we're going to do a screenshot competition for anybody that does, um, we're, we're going to do it. What I want to do is try to have it every week, and then every week we will we will be giving away a professionally uh, for for your car for anybody's car. It's going to be a professional photo shoot and a professional video that will be shot um, for you if you can get the obviously the point is to get the most views and the most comments on your screenshot, and you can get as creative as you want with the screenshots because. Um, one thing that we haven't done yet, and a lot of people started asking me, and this is something that I want to encourage people to do, is that if you have someone hold the phone while you're going to take the screenshot, you yourself can actually be inside the car 
and take that screenshot as well. Or obviously you could have the car in an amazing environment or an amazing uh, photo place, a place that you've chosen, you've chosen that is one of the best places to take like cinematic badass pictures for your car. You could do it that way as well. So uh, that's something that we're going to be coming up as well. We're going to be putting up that uh, pretty soon. We actually have an update that's coming up this week that is going to be inserting some more wheels into the application, but uh, that is going to be through the subscription. The subscription is not that much, guys. It's it's going to be about $7. That's not a lot to ask for, you know, for for obviously uh, being uh, helping us to, to keep up the platform going and keeping the application up to date with everything that we want to do. So, um, dude, I think, Justin, we have been talking for almost an hour. It's an hour and 42 minutes. So I think I think we've covered most of the stuff that we said we cover. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, yeah, it sounds pretty good. I mean, uh, we talked about pretty much everything I can think of off the top of my head. So yeah, yeah. Again, I, I uh, um, you know, I, I appreciate you uh, uh, having. Oh, that was one thing that I wanted to uh, tell you that I, I think that for you having a, your YouTube channel up for one year um, and becoming a YouTuber, uh, you know, and starting to become successful with that. Successful. See, I can't talk today. Um, you know, and gaming almost, uh, you're at 28,000 uh, followers, correct? Uh, tw- I just rolled over 29. Subscribers. Oh, 29. Awesome. Cool. 29,000 subscribers. Any, man, any tips for anybody that wants to start up their own YouTube channel? Obviously, there's a lot of us that, that do want to get into that, doing, you know, starting to get, you know, I mean, that's a huge thing now. So it has been for yeah. years. And I think a lot of car enthusiasts are really starting to get very serious about the way that they're professionally doing their, their videos. Um, any any type of tip and uh, tip or trick or anything that you think that would, you know, that you, that someone would have told you when you were starting off that could uh, make their channel a little more efficient. Um, well, not anything that anybody told me, but, uh, what I've found in the, the short time that I've done it is what, what I think is making it, it successful is the fact that I'm not doing anything I wouldn't normally do. So, okay. Everything, any videos I make showing something I'm adding to the car or something I'm doing that particular day is literally something I would have done before I had the camera in front of myself. So um, I was obviously very passionate about cars. Uh, I, all the automotive experience I have and everything that helps with an automotive style channel. Um, The, I mean, the only bit of information I could give is that, you know, if you wanted to start a YouTube channel, make sure it's something that you're passionate about. I mean, if, right. if you like cars, that's one thing, but if you're obsessed like mm-hmm. I am, that's what really brings good content because it's, yes. it's obvious in every single thing I do that cars is the car. The idea of automotive customization is in my blood. Part of your life. Yeah. 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 I would, um, I would agree that that's a number one thing that people should, because that I think what you're getting at is that, Hey, look, this is not easy. Yeah. It takes a lot of time and effort, especially if you're doing all your own editing, your filming. Um, it, it takes a lot. I, I totally agree with what you're saying. It's it's a, If you're not passionate about it, it's very easy for anybody to just go, okay, fuck this shit. I'm giving up. Yep. Like, this is too difficult. Exactly. And I mean, the, especially the first thousand subs that you need. Yeah. That That is the hardest part. And that's going to be the, the largest grind of your life. But yeah. If you're passionate about it and it's something you want to do and you do regardless of monetization, it will it will feel like nothing. Did you use any um, 
I'm trying to think of any, even for myself, because I also want to start up a YouTube channel, but that we'll leave that for another podcast. Um, did you, um, did you use any, any, like, uh, these companies that are doing like Fiverr or any companies that obviously you have to pay to try to get people to have Instagram, you know, very big, large Instagram, uh, pages and for, you know, hundred bucks here, 50 bucks there. Cause I've, I personally tried a couple of it. I tried, uh, you know, a couple of them to just, you know, 10 here, 15 here to see what that could look like or what that could do. It's not as easy as they make it sound to be. It, it really isn't. Are, are you, do you mean like paying for views? Well, not paying for views, but like a trying to do a promoted post where you would go to Fiverr and let's pretend that there's someone that has 500,000 subscribers. I know that there's obviously, because this is something that I've known for a long time, you have to use the 10% rule. So... If you're gonna make a post, and let's pretend that there's uh, like on someone's Instagram, 500,000 supposed people that are active, you're gonna see that post. It doesn't mean that that 500,000 people are gonna come flocking over to your channel or your podcast or anything. So if you take the 10% rule, well, 5,000, uh, excuse me, 500,000, that means that maybe 50,000 people would start getting an interest in in your name and check out your channel, this, that, whatever. And maybe out of that 50,000, you might get a couple, I don't know, maybe, I mean, out of 50,000, you're supposed to get at least a couple thousand you'd figure out of the subscribers for, for YouTube channel. But it's not, I, I don't think it's that easy. No. There's a lot of science into it. Yeah. So um, there's a lot of stuff like that. Uh, I, I actually noticed it pretty early on. I, I think it was within the first three months of starting my Instagram account that I started right alongside my YouTube channel. Um, I had somebody email me and ask me, this is a little different, but I'm going to touch on it anyway. It's, sure. It was about the, uh, you know, you could pay them $10 for a thousand views or right. uh, 20 bucks for a hundred subscribers or something. And First off, it, it immediately it hits me, you know, this isn't the way to do this anyway because it's not that's not even why I started the YouTube channel. I didn't I didn't start it to to become a millionaire. I started right. it to share a passion for automotive customization especially. But no aside from that, that is 100% against Instagram and YouTube's um agreement basically right. so if you if you start up a channel it says right in there you do not use these kind of services if they right. find out that you are they will shut your channel down yeah correct so there's a, a lot of reasons not to use it but that's the most important one so okay. you you get caught it's going to get shut down now for what you're talking about the only thing i've ever used fiverr for was they actually uh um i, I gave them my channel logo and they converted it into uh, a higher resolution png file that i could use to put on my my t-shirts and merchandise and stuff but right i didn't honestly know that fiverr even offered any anything like that but um that might not be a bad idea i'm gonna actually check that out after we after we're done here so yeah yeah i mean i i i tried it out my experience was not the best and and, the, and i did what most people will do today before even putting a dime into it is you go to youtube for people yep. that have done it and have tested it and have actually put statistical numbers and done it in a, in a, you know, like a, just like a proper experiment, you know, that they, they wanted to prove right or wrong. Um, and most well, people's though, the one thing I've noticed, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut no, you no, off. No, but, uh, one thing I've noticed is I actually have a friend who uh, started his Instagram account before his mm -hmm. YouTube channel. And he had something like 3000 followers or something on Instagram. And he just okay. assumed 
as soon as he started his YouTube channel, at least half over. of those guys would come over. And right. what he noted almost immediately was not even 10% came over. Wow. So he, he ended up with like 100 people that came over out of his 3,000 subs or 3,000 followers on Instagram. So those numbers do not translate. So if you were to set up a YouTube channel, don't rely heavily on Instagram. Like whenever wow. I first started my YouTube channel, I was kind of told – YouTube and Instagram kind of go hand in hand. Like right. you don't have one without the other. Right. And honestly, if my Instagram account was to be deleted tomorrow, I, I would feel probably zero effects of that on YouTube. So wow. it doesn't really translate. And any any info, any like to, like why why that is? Because you that's what I thought. I thought this guy, I really thought the, the same thing. The biggest thing is Instagram doesn't allow any kind of links or uh well that yeah yeah of course unless you have a business page but even then you have to put in your bio and then it's yeah you gotta go yeah. oh it's a bio link is in the bio you yeah know, and that. that's how i that's how mine is right now i right. i'll post a story or something and say hey here's a new video check out the link in the bio i guarantee you nobody actually does that because i know i don't do it so wow. that's why instagram if, if instagram would allow you to post a link with a picture yeah that'd be different it would be a different story. But even then, on your cell phone especially, even if you do go to the bio and click on the link, it opens up that link in Instagram's own web right. browser, which right, looks horrible. Browser. It, it yeah. makes everything look completely different than a regular website. So I wouldn't want to do it that way either. Yeah, because they're trying to, you know, that's all about control, which is stupid right. because it's owned by Facebook now. And what the right. fuck Facebook allows on. It, it makes no sense that Facebook, and I, 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 I wish I could speak to I don't know that whoever's in charge, it's not the, you know the marketing people at Facebook and, and make them. Un, I mean, I understand that they're separate, okay? But you guys own them. You own Instagram, and if anything, now that they're competing, and not that I even because this is recently this whole TikTok shit that everybody's talking about. I mean, I know every all the I guess all the younger people now are on that because that's almost like TikTok. TikTok is almost like a version of of I'd say Facebook and Instagram more obviously because there's more video than it is pictures. So it's basically the new Instagram with videos, with short videos. That's basically what TikTok is. Yeah. I mean, I don't, maybe I'm botching it a little bit, but. No, um, you're about right. Yeah. Okay. So it's ridiculous that Instagram not wanting to be competitive towards that would go, hey, look, how can we maybe either retain or stop? And I'm not saying anybody, I don't think anybody's shutting down their Instagram. That's the other thing that's happened in tech. And it's really funny that this is kind of, it doesn't really coincide with what's going on in the automotive world. But if you've noticed, if you go back 10 years, right, uh, even further, right, 15 years, remember, I mean, we had, when Facebook first started, you had MySpace, and it was either you were, it wasn't, oh, I have both, right? right. Most people were either, oh, I'm on, I'm on MySpace. I mean, that shows my age, but I'm on MySpace, or you're on Facebook. It, it was never one or the other, uh, excuse me, uh, both. Most people just would do one or the other. Things have really changed now. Like with competitiveness in the industry of tech, when it comes down to applications, most people don't even care now. They just go, oh, wait, it's another platform for me to maybe get my content out there and, and, and my media and, and maybe become somewhat you know known and my name known. Fuck yeah, I'll just download it. Why, why would I not have both? So it's even, I think it's harder now. What I'm trying to get to is that Instagram, I think what they should do, if they did do that, if they made that move that would allow everybody to put their links, connecting YouTube and maybe even Facebook links, um, but at least for YouTube, dude, 
imagine the competition they could be giving TikTok. So yeah. I don't know. I don't get it. I don't understand why they're they're being very firm on this whole thing. And it, it seems really ridiculous. And even more so if, I mean, because when you have an Instagram account, a business account, supposedly you are able to put uh, the link in the bio. But with a, because you could do that with a personal one. But that's the only version of link sharing that they have. And it's a business account. You'd figure that at least with a business account, they would give you, okay, look, you can only post, I don't know, uh, five to 10 links a month, right? Different links. And if you want to get rid of one, you have to, you know, you have to replace it. At least that. But oh, I don't think we're ever going to see that from Instagram. So, yeah. Um, and that's kind of stupid. Yeah, it, it is kind of dumb. But uh, I know YouTube has recently been, uh, you know, kind of creeping up on what on Instagram's territory with the addition of the community tab. And uh, now most recently, YouTube has stories. So right. same kind of thing, 15-second-long little snippets that give you, give the viewer some indication of you know what you're doing on your channel and stuff like that. Right. So it's kind of pulling the need for any Instagram completely away from any specific YouTuber. Right. And that's, yeah, it's, it's something they need to look at. But I guess, you know, with their billions of, fault of, 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 well, uh, of, of users... It's something that maybe they just don't care about. They're like, oh, oh yeah. what do we care? But uh, I, don't, I don't even know what it was. I think it's got to be at least three billion, right? It, it's it's right alongside Facebook has five billion, like basically the entire world. Um, yeah. So it's got to be a little bit less than that, maybe. Even, well, so, even. something I was reading not too long ago was saying that uh, Facebook actually is better for YouTube than uh, Instagram, and. In my experience, it is because okay. there's actually a couple different spots on YouTube where you can see where your outside traffic is being generated from. Right. And the Instagram portion for me was less than 0.1%, whereas Facebook was somewhere around like 10 or 12%. Wow. And so, where do, uh, where does the rest come from? Just your own, uh, just putting, I guess, your own media or your own marketing? Um, there's some were coming from like Google. So if someone was okay. going on Google and typing in uh, C8 Corvette content or C8 Corvette news, it was okay. linking to there. So it was something big, like 50 or 60% comes from Google. Awesome. And uh, you know, there was some from like acscomposite.com is a website that sends a lot of Corvette parts to me. Okay. Um, they have a couple of my videos on there as under their review category. And a lot of the traffic comes from that site. So I mean, there's okay. there's a list, literally like 20 or 30 of these things long, and the majority of them at the bottom are 0.1% along with Instagram. Right. Okay. Well, that's that's a really good tip, man. I, I appreciate you sharing that because that's even for me, myself, but for everybody listening that, you know, has this uh, this this huge path. I mean, I think a, a lot of us have the, um, you know, we have the passion, we have, and, and I've been watching actually a lot of other uh people that have been on there for like i watched yesterday a guy that was on there for about a year he wanted to report his all his information that he's gotten and kind of tips like hey look don't do this and do this and one of the things he said he says look guys don't worry about and and i get it with with camera equipment especially when you're filming a specific car or you want to do a specific scene for a car and you want to be very professional but dude the truth is most of our phone cameras today i mean 4k what how much more i mean can film in 4k like how much more detail i mean it, 
once you go past 1080p anyways, you really can't, I mean, you really can't tell the difference. The human eye, people, that's another thing that a lot of people don't understand is 4K is the limit and yes, clarity and how how um, the pixels are packed in the image. Yes, it'll make a clear image. When you're watching a 4K image and you go back to like, let's say a 1080p or anything below, you're gonna notice the difference. But then you have 8K and there's yeah. this huge, the science is there, it shows, hey, look, the human eyeball cannot detect what you're watching when you're watching an 8K yeah. or a 4K. It, it, you, but obviously that's part of marketing. So, um, well, the the 8K thing, uh, I actually looked some of this up whenever the talk was initially coming up, and they said that you can't tell the difference between 4K and 8K until the TV or the display you're looking at is at least 103 inches big. Right. Right, when and it gets who, down to a, who has a 103 inch TV yeah. in their house, you know, like. <laughs> not, not, not too many people, but there are some people. I think Samsung, Samsung made a 100, was it 120 or 100? I think the biggest one they made, the 170, 170 inches. Well, it's, those those are going to be the kind of TVs you're going to find at like sports bars right. and right. uh, like literally stadiums for right. NFL players and stuff. The stuff that people have to be able to see from hundreds of feet away. So yeah. even then. Does it matter if it's 8K? No, probably it not. It but that's just the, you know, that's how, that's the new world we live in. It's, uh, oh, this is the next best thing. Why? Well, because it's better. Oh, okay. Yeah. Can it, can my eye detect it? No, it can't, but you want the next best thing, don't you? <laughs> so right. It's like, okay, I'll buy it. But um, I, I think another thing that I wanted to just uh, just cover real quick, right before we uh, um, we end this, because it's been a pretty amazing podcast, actually, to tell the truth, um, is... I, I think that we have come to the point where, and not just with cars, because this is with everything, especially technology, the consumer has now gained control over the manufacturers and what they're producing. And in the automotive world, I cannot tell you, I think it goes a hundredfold. It's a hundred over or 120% of that I think is happening because never there has been there a time where the amount of information that is now being taken in by consumers is being put out to basically almost like a survey, right, to the people that are making the product. Um, and obviously automotive journalists, people such as yourself, YouTubers, they're starting to get, you know, there's some of them obviously, like, uh, uh, well, I'll take three guys, right? The, let's just take the Stradman. Uh, I don't even want to mention her, but you all know her, Supercar Blondie. Uh, the guy from Daily Driven Exotics. What's his name? Um, I forgot Damon. his name. Oh, Damon. That's right. Damon. And who else? I'm trying to think of who else I can think. Oh, yeah. Well, that, I don't even want to say his name. But, yeah, Doug DeMauro. I mean, I don't, I don't have anything against the guy. But Doug DeMauro, also, he's also just exploded. Um, and he doesn't – you know, look, nothing against the guy. I'm subscribed to his channel. But what he's doing is not um, – he found a niche and good for him. And I'm glad he he's doing so well. But – you know, after a while that I started watching that, oh, this is why this car is worth this much. And I get it. Look, great. He did the research and he's being successful. Hey, all power to him. That's great. I'm not against any of that. But I do have a problem with, and, and Supercar Blondie is, is a perfect example of it. I don't have a problem with her at all. I think she's great. But there's a certain person that is watching and staying with her and watching her videos constantly. And I wouldn't say that that person is people like you and me that are diehard, right. like hardcore car guys. I think right. it's the person 
that's in they know kind of like they you know they'll see a four it's the person that would look at four five eight and a four and a four eighty eight and they think it's the same car right they wouldn't even they're the huts same car it's like no it's not the same car. the the majority of people watching channels like that are uh probably 17 years old or younger yes. they're ones that don't really know a lot about cars yet but they may have an interest coming right. up and somebody who shows all these cars that you'll never actually see in person yes. is interesting to them. Yes. And look, it, it is interesting, but there's a problem with it. And I think there's something going on with her as well. Because I actually, um, there was a comp- well competition. She had put it up on her Instagram that she asked people to try to come up with very creative snippet videos to gain interest so she could hire them for their team. Now, I, I think I know why she's hiring people for her team. And I don't think it has anything to do with her channel growing more, getting more followers, subscribers, any of that. I think what's going on is that she has hit, because this does happen. I actually watched this guy yesterday for for, for, for Tizium. Oh, fuck, I'm going to fuck up those name, man. Let me look up his, his, his just to say it correctly, because I'm going to mess it up. It's that it's that one guy that I think most people have seen his video by now. It's that guy that does a, he has got a cool science channel. Um, uh, hold on. And he did that one video where it's this is 96 million uh, these like balls that they actually put in like a, a uh, it was a uh, water treatment plant and they put the balls in the water. Oh yeah, to, the black ones. Yeah. Yes, that guy. Yeah. And I'm trying. To, I just watched this video yesterday, which is very important. For t- um, hold on. Um, if not, I'm just gonna have to put it in the in the later on. But oh, here it is. I found it. Um, oh, okay. So it's ver. Veritasium. There we go. Said it right. So um, he made a very good point. He did like an instruction of what is going on with this. Uh, this. This. It's basically the plateau. It's just like a company. You know, making a YouTube channel is literally like making your own brand or your own company. And there's certain milestones. And there's a point where you hit a plateau. And then at one point, you can actually start losing subscribers and losing views. And he was saying that, and I think that's I think that's what's going on with Supercar Blondie. Now, if I'm wrong, hey, I'll stand corrected. Not a problem. But she put out this, this whole thing on Instagram saying, oh, we're looking for more people to join the team, blah, 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 whatever. So I actually communicated with someone in Australia, one of the girls that had actually come up with this really cool creative video that I had to contact her. I'm like, oh, that is an amazing video. We have to talk. You know, I'm here in Miami. I'd love to have you on the podcast, blah, 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 blah. So – we connected very, very talented girls. She actually is studying um, uh, graphic design and doing a lot of That's why she was able to come up with the video that she did. Unfortunately, Supercar Blondie um, did not pick her. And it was the most dumbest. It was the most ridiculous reason. She didn't pick her because the video wasn't creative enough. She didn't pick her because they're looking for a brunette. And this girl's blonde. And I'm like, oh, you got to be joking. Like, that's yeah. such a stupid move. So, you know... I think that she's losing maybe some traction. And hey, look, she's everywhere. She was just the other day with the Koenigsegg Gamera, meeting with Christian von Koenigsegg. The other day, she was with the Top Gear, uh, with with Richard Hammond from Top Gear. Like, she has literally met every everyone that we would want to meet, you know? And again, good for her. She's out there in Dubai doing her thing. Cool. She's married to this whoever he is that has kind of given her access to this entire world. And look, she makes cool videos. But it's not something that I'm stuck there going, oh, my God, this is – every time I see her now and she's mentioning, oh, I'm with this new car. Like I'm with the new – you know, the other day she was there at the Bugatti uh, uh, with the – she was with the uh, 
the Bugatti, um, not the, it was the Shento, the Senti, I think it was called the, the new, the new white Bugatti that basically it's, it's a, it's a Chiron, but it's, you know, they put a new body on it. It looks really cool. And it, it's a homage to the old EB 110, which looks really cool. Um, she was there the other day drifting, supposedly a Chiron. And I'm like, motherfucking A, like you're all, you know, and cool, great for her. But it's not, it's like she's there saying that, oh, that they've set up this Bugatti for drifting, but you don't, you don't ever see her doing anything. Yeah, she never does anything. Yet. She's just sitting there next to the car, standing next to it and talking about it. Oh, this is this. And I'm like, okay, yeah, okay, show me more. Oh, right. it never gets to that point. So that's one thing that I want to, you know, one thing that I want to put out there is that, look, you can, you can grow in different types of ways. But like you said, right? Be super passionate about that subject that you're getting into so nobody can or you won't lose faith. You won't lose – you won't think you're losing your time because that will happen if you're not passionate. And I could – it's the same thing with the podcast or, or with anything that – any amount of energy someone's going to put into, if you're not passionate enough about it where you're not doing it to try to – like you said, you're not doing it to become super famous, uh, you know, YouTube famous and start making money on YouTube. That's all plus. That's great. I'm, I'm, that's great that there's platforms out there right now that if you're successful enough at it, you can make serious money. Like you could become a fucking multimillionaire. Yeah. That's ridiculous. You know, when you think about it, you're like, what? You could become a multimillionaire making videos of something that you're passionate about and love to do? What? But we have seen, and I think you and me both and people that have researched this, it is not an easy task. Um, it's not an easy task. So, so I think that's that's great, man. Um, I, I really hope the best for your channel. It looks like you're you're coming up, man. I mean, again, thirty thousand subscribers, twenty twenty nine thousand subscribers to in in one year. That's that's I think more than other people. The guy that actually I was watching yesterday, not the guy that we were just talking to, uh, Verticium or Ver, that guy, but um, there was another guy I was watching. He just reported from one year. He's only got ten thousand. So, but he's he's doing a review a review uh, review videos for which is huge too. But he's doing review videos of uh, music or te uh, technological, you know, like music, uh, not music instrument. I'm sorry. Um, it's like a technology for um, like DJs and people that want to make their own uh, music. It's that type of channel, which is kind of cool. And he, he's been up for one year. He's done a lot of interesting things. He said he tried a lot of different methods and he's only at 10,000 plus. I think like a 10,200 or something like that, or maybe yeah. half. So I, I, I know how hard uh, that whole thing well, is. Yeah, and you know, 10,000 in a year is by no means bad. Um, oh, no, 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 it's not bad. It's not bad. That's still an accomplishment. Yeah, it is. And I know typically whenever I first started, I didn't expect to get 1,000 for close to a year. Right. So the fact that I, I grew as fast as I did is is not the norm when it comes to subscribers on YouTube. Right. Well, that's great. Um, like I said, I think uh, your, your videos are definitely uh, giving people value. That's a huge thing. That's that's the same thing with this, right? With what we're doing right now with the podcast. It's the same thing. I'm, I'm trying to, you know, being passionate as hell as, uh, uh, well, I mean, I'm a huge, just like you and all the other car enthusiasts that I'm super passionate about what I'm doing, but there's also people that dedication is a very it's a very difficult attribute to if you don't have it it's very difficult to just jump on and go oh I'm just yeah. gonna suddenly be dedicated that that doesn't work <laughs> right exactly it doesn't just 
you can't just gain it. it. It takes a lot of, sometimes it takes years. But, um, but look, Justin, this is what I have to say. Um, uh, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, I would love to do some things with you, with your YouTube channel. Maybe we can get, like I said, after this, we'll, we'll have a conversation and talk about different things that we'll do. Uh, what do you think about the, just before I let you go, what do you think about the, the screenshot competition that we, we could do with the, using the application? What do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think that's a fantastic idea. Um, okay. it's a good way to get people into the app and get yeah. them to show off their own car. So exactly. That's, that's the way I see it, that it's a, an amazing way to not only give you the ability of competing for something that's actually pretty awesome. Cause the photographer that I have, my good friend, uh, you guys, if you want to look uh, look him up, his uh, his uh, IG is um, uh, as uh, underscore photo photog like photography, but just cutting it off. Um, very good friend of mine, car guy as well. Uh, we grew up. He had an E36 M3. I had two E36 M3s back in the day, and um, not too long ago, but a couple years back. And uh, you know, really knows the stuff. What I told him was that we would do this, and the Again, you're winning a professional photography shoot for your car, and not only just the professional photography shoot for the car to be able to spread on social media, but we're going to do a promotional video. Now, I actually have a video um, that I was doing as a promotion for this um, this awesome thing that I was doing with a collaboration with an exotic rental car company here in Miami, which uh, they were giving me the access to. They wanted to start up a YouTube channel. I told them I'd like to be the face of that and be the driver you know, be the person behind the camera doing all the driving and and actually doing all the filming as well. So we did a promotional video and that actually, I, I gonna, I have to finish that up, uh, hopefully by maybe by Sunday should be done. So next week I will be putting that up as well. Um, and I'll show it to you, Justin, I want to see what you think about it. And, um, yeah, but, but again, with the competition, I think it'll be really cool. Like you said, it's giving someone, you're downloading an app that, will give you the ability of, of creating amazing, amazing uh, car content uh, with, like I said, the upcoming wheels that we're going to be putting in, all the cool stuff. And the app doesn't just do that. Uh, Justin, I don't know if you checked out the – did you check out the other uh, the other portion of it with the augmented, uh, like the hypercar or no? No. Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll show that to you and then that way um, – you could check that out because that's it's using the same technology that the wheel that the algorithm and all that 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 you have for the wheel for the force wheel but it does it with a car so you can actually control the car and move it wherever you want and actually take a screenshot on the street and it looks again photorealistic i mean it looks like the car is there obviously the lighting is the lighting i would say is the biggest thing with making it look almost absolutely real so there's a lot of things that we're doing with that. Um, so um, I think with that, Justin, I think we're, we're pretty good with this podcast, man. It's been pretty awesome. Um, if you want to do this more often, just let me know. You know, it's something that we could we could keep on rolling and, and maybe talk about different topics that are going on with, obviously, the, the automotive world and everything that's going on with the C8 world. Um, to everybody that, uh, you know, has been experiencing this crazy pandemic, I think it's also – you know, try to stay positive with this. You know, that's all I think me and you are, are positive people and, and the people in the CA group have been pretty cool, pretty positive. A lot of people actually were getting their cars at the midst of everything a couple weeks ago when this whole, I mean, this fucking virus is taking over the world and people are still getting their C8s and, and actually going out there and driving. You know what, guys? That's great. You know, be safe, but don't don't just like, you know, don't take everything negatively. I mean, yes, hopefully we're going to come out of this soon. 
And um, and yeah, I'm really glad that people actually finally started getting their 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 Corvette C8s. And obviously, you know, you have guys like uh, Carlisle who went out there and started, you know, drag racing it to try to get the best time, the the, the lowest time possible as, as a world first. It's just awesome. Oh. Um, one last question, just as far as high performance mods, what the zero one is it, is it, uh, do you have anything done to the car? I can't believe I didn't ask you this before. <laughs> um, nothing, uh, mechanical yet. No. Okay. Okay. And anything you're thinking about, maybe like, uh, maybe like a pulley, do they have a pulley kit for the zero yeah. one? Like for, for the supercharger? Yeah. So I've done some research on it to find that apparently you can pulley down a decent amount without even having to turn to tune it because of how rich the car runs from factory so wow ideally i could probably get between an intake and a pulley probably about 50 horsepower more without putting a a tune on it wow that's so with a tune it'll be at least another 40 50 easy yeah all day long wow and the pulley kit do they have is it just upper or is it crank pulley and uh upper pulley well you could choose which one you want to do but on the corvette it's actually easier to do the upper pulley yeah, of course, the upper pulley is much easier than the crank pulley. Um, is it what? What do you know? The psi is it? Is it like up to ten psi with both pulleys, and like four or five with the upper, and four or five with the lower? Because that's usually how it. That's usually the amount of boost. Well, crazy the, with it. the stock supercharger actually. Put, I want to say it runs at like fifteen psi as it is. Okay. It, it's pretty high, so right. I don't I don't know what the pulley actually in, increases it to, but I know um, it's only the difference of I believe it goes from two point five inch down to two point three five. Okay, so that's probably maybe two or three pounds. I don't think yeah. that'd be more. Yeah. Okay, and then is that that's something that you really are looking forward to trying to do? Obviously, to get that extra maybe ninety eighty horsepower. Yeah, so the game plan right now is to avoid tuning for as long as possible, or at least until my warranty's up. Okay. Um, so with stuff like this, anything you add that will add a couple extra horsepower without having to tune is the route I want to go for now. Is a is a plus, and really, so there's there's not that many piggyback systems that are worth purchasing to try to even there's no there's nothing out there that can even come close to touching the the uh, the stock um, ECU. Not without replacing it. Um, and that's actually, from what I've heard, and I, I've yet to verify this, so I don't know if this is true or not, but I've heard that with the way that you tune the ZR1 is you replace the ECU completely with a tuned yeah. version. And that leaves your stock one technically untouched. Untouched. Yeah, that way if you have so, to go back to the, yeah. you have to go back to the, to, <laughs> the, fact, the, fact, the, the dealer, you're yeah, okay. In, in that situation, it's actually... That's actually a good thing because if something were to happen and you swapped your stock one back in, you'd, you'd be covered and there'd yeah. be no way for them to detect that you were tuned. But I think, I think I spoke to Don about this. He explains that's something we went over as well. He said that on the C8, you can't do that because the second yeah. you even touch the ECU, it will write up a code or, or some type of warning code. And there actually, there's even coding that has to do with the chassis. Yeah. So, cause there's computers that are, that are all connected throughout. So they really hardwired, the CA to be like, hey, don't touch me. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> if what I've read about the ZR1 with the ECU I just explained, I can't say for sure that, that that's uh, how it works. But if I'm able to verify that, that all that is is the protection that Chevy already had, and then they took it and 
literally put it on steroids for the C8 yeah. because yeah. the architecture is totally different where th there is going to be way more fail safes built in where if you even disconnect that thing for any reason at all, it's going to write it into the, you know, the flash memory or whatever that cannot be erased. So, yes. yeah, oh, it's going to be tough. I do want to mention something. Last night I ended up watching uh, Evil Magazine, and I mentioned them a couple times here because they're pretty awesome. I, I find them pretty awesome as a automotive uh, journalist company or automotive journal company that you know concentrates a lot on amazing stuff that they do. Um, you're not going to believe it, but they just put out the video yesterday, and they were here at Willow Springs uh, with the C8. The guy that they sent down, I haven't seen him too much. I think he's he might he had, might have been around for a couple of years, but I was hoping they were going to send uh, one of the owners, and he he I guess couldn't show up. But the guy that actually did the auto the automotive review, uh, dude, he, literally, you know what he you know what bad things he had to say about the CA? What? Zero. He said yeah. the worst. He says the worst part about this car is that I don't I don't I don't have it. That was, that was just, he's like, the worst thing about this, I don't own one. Dude, never in the history, and even with the ZR1, which I, I, I don't like, okay, but I remember Jeremy Clarkson when he test drove the C606, he was pretty impressed. He had his bullshit things that he was going to say and talk shit about it because it's American, and hey, cool, right. that's, I understand, but... They, I don't think, and I see there's a lot of I don't thinks on this one. I should have covered this, but I don't think they. I think they did have the C7Z06, but since I haven't watched, I haven't watched Top Gear obviously since it ended, and the Grand Tour I haven't really kept up with. I believe they did have it. I think they did a review on it. I know Chris Harris did do the C7Z06 review, which is awesome, um, and the C7 obviously the C7Z06, um, and you know he he says, look, this is this is an amazing car. You know this is. <laughs> Technologically speaking, this is an amazing car. Is it a Sir Corvette? Yes, it is. Um, but with this car, man, the C8, the guy was like, hey, you guys have done it. Like, he's like, hey, hats off to Chevy. You guys fucking did it. I mean, I've been saying, what about this? The one thing I keep on repeating of, uh, of the C8 is that I've been telling all my car friends and all my contacts and anybody that I talk to about this car, I'm like, hey, look, this thing is putting, not ripples, it's putting waves into the uh, entirety that is the supercar, hypercar world. So um, I think it's going to change the way that manufacturers are also going to, they're going to yeah. have to start, <laughs> they're yeah. going to have to tweak what they're doing with, with some of the cars that they're coming up with. That's, that's exactly what I said from the day that they started talking about the C8 being mid-engine. Yeah. Even if that car came out, so before the C8 was available, even if it comes out and it's not that great, what it's going to do, ideally, is competition breeds innovation. So yes. this car coming out, even if, it, if it, it's a, a flop, nobody buys it. What it's going to do is it's going to push other companies to up their game. And that's right. only good for consumers. Right. Right. We're the ones that feel – we're the ones that reap the benefits, which I think is awesome. Right. But um, I, I really – I have to say the same thing, man. I – and I had this, and, and I know we didn't go over too much, but I really did have this strange, and I think a lot of people had the same thing. People were looking at it on stage, and like with a lot of other cars as well, this always happens, that you have to see the car in person. Yeah. Any Anybody out there, and I don't think there's too many people out there, but if there's anybody out there yet that is looking at the, the C8 and going, I don't know, you know, it's just, 
it's not a Corvette to me, or I don't know, you know, it's it's a it's a Chevy, man. None. Listen, look, trust me. Go look at the car in person, and if you have the chance, obviously drive it. Your expectations will be completely smashed. It's well, it's, you yeah. know what I think is really funny about the whole thing is that uh, from the very beginning, the the leaked renderings of the C8. Um, they were supposedly done by somebody who never saw the car. But right. looking back on it, he these renderings were 100% spot yeah, on. There was nothing on. about his rendering that didn't make it to production. So right. first off, I think the guy worked for GM in some capacity. But uh, yeah. the thing that gets me about the whole thing is that from the very beginning, I was hearing people left and right saying, oh, this looks like a Ferrari. It looks like a Ferrari. No, that's not a bad thing. First off, but <laughs> well, yeah, it's not um, a bad thing exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, everybody was saying it like, "Oh, I don't want this. This thing looks like a Ferrari." I'm like, "What's wrong with that?" Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> but uh, just recently, I had my ZR1 down at a uh, an international auto show here in Pittsburgh. Okay. And I had three people during the course of three days. So we'll say maybe one person a day, but it was three in general, in total. Right. Come up to me and point at the car and say, "What kind of car is that?" Is wow. it a Ferrari? Well, and yeah, I said, well, that, well, that that's mm, that's a little that's that's I think if, if someone sees a C like if someone sees a C seven zero one says is that a Ferrari? I mean, I understand where they're coming from. Well, I do the, un, I do understand where they're coming from. Like I can tell you that the when I I'll tell you this when just because it'll go right along with what you're saying. The C seven zero six when it, excuse me the C seven period the headlight design. Yeah. Okay. And this is something that GM has constantly, very, very sneakily, very in a very smart way. They've always done this, and it's okay. I'm okay with it because they're not copying. They're just going by what is out there and is awesome. Obviously, if you put a C706 and the 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 Ferrari F12, you put them neck and neck. Yeah. The headlight design is very similar. But yeah, Yeah. go ahead. That 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 would. They take design cues and. You would be stupid as an auto manufacturer not to do that. So not but, to, exactly. Um, I got to see uh, an F12 in person not too long ago, and the first thing I thought when standing in front of it was, that looks exactly like a C7. Yeah. The headlight <laughs> exactly. design is exactly the same. The front end obviously yep. has you know the longer hood. And the thing is, is that at this particular auto show, there was a Ferrari F12, not even three display cases down from where I was standing. Okay. So... Very likely, that's what they probably came from there. Came over and said, "Hey, is that a, you know, is that a, a Ferrari?" Right. And right. all three times, it caught me so off guard because I've never had that question before. Yeah, because your Corvette said, one a Ferrari. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's up. And I mean, they're asking me that while I'm literally standing right by the front end. I'm probably six inches away from the Corvette flag emblem on the front, <laughs> and I'm like, like "Come I on, know this is this is a Corvette." Like, <laughs> it, it's 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 surprising, but it just goes to show you that. The design cues are obviously there from a Ferrari. Yeah. The people who aren't 100% educated in what kind of car is what are immediately going to think that's a Ferrari. Yeah. But like you said, is that a bad thing? Holy no, shit. No, no, not at all. Not at all. Not at all. You know, because if you go back to just, okay, like if we went back to C5, there's one thing. Wait, did you ever have a C5, Justin, or you've never had one? I've never had one, no, but okay. hopefully I will soon. Yeah, hopefully you will soon. I, they're going to find this hilarious. When I first saw the C5, um, 
there was something, and me being a diehard car guy, there was I knew that there was something way too familiar about what I was looking at. And if you look at the, if you look at obviously not the not the convertible, but if you look at the the hardtop or the target top, and if you put and well, someone should do this, I'm sure if we Google it, we'll find it right away. But if you put that car, if you put the C5 Corvette, it doesn't even have to be a Z06 because the fender flares are exactly the same, which was horrendous. But um, and you put it next to uh, the FD RX7, right, the Mazda, dude. I swear to you, I, I mean, the dimensions is the only thing that literally changes is that the C5 is just bigger. If you look at the, the rear view mirror, the, the housing of the rear mirror, it's almost exactly the same. The front end, the, the fenders, the hood, the pop-up headlights, obviously, it just looks like a big, it almost looks like a big version of an RX-7. Now, I'm not saying exactly but again, it's like someone at GM is always saying, hey, look, guys. Yeah. Now, that was for a reason, though. The FDRX7, okay, is without a doubt, nobody can argue, the most beautiful RX7 ever made and one of the most badass. So, yes, was that a Japanese car, a tuner car? Yes, it was. But was, was Corvette so wrong in doing what they did? Now, you could also... Look at the other coin, the other side of that, and they, you know, from C4 to C4, C5, they remember the C4 was pretty blocky and pretty sharp lines, and then they went to these flowy lines. A lot of people didn't like it. A lot of people even called it. Some people were calling it bubbly. I'm like, dude, I don't, I don't know about that. But you know, the the lines were very, they were very curvy. They weren't very sharp. It was very small. I think the only part car, I'd say the only sharp lines would be the lines in the hood were the only ones, the ones that went from the the uh, uh, front part of the hood all the way up that that made the uh, the lines that came in the middle of the car and drew out like as you're looking at the car from the front those were the only lines that you could even say that were sharp everything else was kind of like a, a curvy you know uh like uh oval shaped um design did it look mean as hell definitely not that's why when i saw the c7 i'm like yes oh yes please thank you thank you very much for 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 completely and the c6 the c6 as well obviously the c6 was like fuck when you saw when i saw the c6 for the first time i'm like fuck yes finally the thing the thing finally looks like a corvette now you know and the c6 guess what uh same thing with the headlights what did the headlights look like well they looked like the 360 headlights the ferrari 360 headlights yep, exactly so again well, was it a bad thing it's funny the for the c6 specifically uh, I read a while ago, and I, I never verified this, but mm -hmm. uh, the one of the lead designers at Dodge for the Viper uh -huh. actually came over to Chevy right around the same time that the C6 was being produced and introduced to us. Oh, and know. that was the apparently the the inspiration for making the first Corvette without some sort of flip up headlights, you know, right. and. Uh, they look very similar to the Dodge Viper headlights of right. the whatever that would have been like. The yeah, second generation of that year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that's what I heard. But with what you just said, that makes a lot of sense too, because then with the C7, they borrowed stuff from Ferrari again. Yeah. So it's either way. Yeah, either the, way. They... The fact that they're taking design cues from other companies, it's not a until you literally get a 100% copy. I would never say that they're copying. I would say that they're right. taking design cues. Yeah. 
and every and everybody and and today ah uh, man that's that we'll have to leave that for another podcast but i one, one thing because I, I it's just my mind is just going crazy with ideas and stuff that we're talking about but dude if there's one if there's one manufacturer that's really pissing me off like fucking like i'm getting mad i'm getting angry is mercedes is mercedes and bmw um audi's the only one that looks like they're the ones that are trying to innovate shit and even them they're starting to fall like a lot of these companies yeah. these european companies, holy shit i'm so disappointed yeah. All new Mercedes for the past five years. There's this new weird, like sharp lines on the side and then kind of yep. curvy, and they, they all, all the same. and yep. they all look like the same fucking car. Yep. They, and then now BMW now with this gigantic, ridiculous, stupid, fucking twin tower, fucking grill. What the fuck is? I'm not happy at all, as you could tell. And um, we're gonna have to leave that for another podcast. But I don't like what they're doing because literally the new three series BMW. If you look at the quarter panel, uh, excuse me, the um, yeah, the quarter panel of that car, and you take the back lights of that car, I swear to you, you compare it with with the Audi S4, it looks like the same car. Yeah. Why the fuck is BMW never in the history of BMW designing cars have they ever taken a design cue from anybody else, especially not one of their biggest competitors, Mercedes and Audi, and now they're and now they are. Why? Why are you doing this? This is stupid. So, but. With with GM, it's it's a little different, you know. Just because they took a certain shape and made it their own for the C7, hey, I got no problems with it. I got no problems with it. You know, it right. it looks it looks great, and like you said, it it gives it that high quality look. That's what we all want. But you can never win everybody's heart, right? You can never you can never please everybody because on one side you're pleasing people that hey, look, I just spent sixty seventy. Actually, when they first came out, there were eighty grand, eighty thousand dollars on a C7. Corvette, a Z06. Fuck yeah! I'm glad that it that it's got some design cues coming from one of the most beautiful uh, manufacturing uh, uh, supercar manufacturers in the world. What's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that. So, yeah, I think that's a. I, I've never looked at it as a bad thing. In the beginning, I kind of was a little bit like, ah, you guys kind of did this, but then you brought the perfect mindset to it. I was thinking about the same thing. It's like, hey, why is this a bad thing? I started questioning why i was mad about something you know um why was i questioning like there's a reason behind it um and and i don't know i really think that like companies like gm are really got their head on their shoulders other companies that have been around for a long time like bmw they have lost forget about their head on their shoulders they're fucking everything is ass backwards they're doing shit that's just stupid and it's ridiculous and someone needs to go and speak to the ceo hey what the fuck you guys what are you doing like what like I, I want to be in that room, and in the meeting room of when they all gather, because that's the thing, you know. Like we know that this, this is not a one-person decision. This, this takes teams of people to look at at something that a design change or anything they're going to change in the car, and they all have to okay. And you're telling me that all that there was a meeting of people of like seriously well-paid personnel that all said, oh yes, we must now look, we must now make our the front of our cars. With the most biggest grills that have ever been made on the history of any car, not just be of any car, because people like this. No, nobody is liking what you're doing, and you, your cars are starting to look really fucking stupid, BMW. And you better stop doing this shit because it's fucking stupid. It's just, it's like dumb and dumber stupid. And you know, I don't know. Your your head is up your ass. I'm sorry to tell you. <laughs> so that's what I gotta say about that. 
But um, hey, Justin, it's been awesome, dude. We have been here for two hours and thirty minutes. By the by the way, if you don't believe it, <laughs> it goes it goes by quick. Um, uh, let's uh, here. I'm gonna go ahead and end the podcast. Um, so anybody, guys, uh, everybody, just before we we do end the podcast, you have a uh, horsepower uh, obsessed. That's uh, just the channel. Go check him out on YouTube. Check out his Instagram. Um, you know, you'll you'll definitely like enjoy his videos. You'll definitely learn something from his videos. And obviously, uh, if you want to find my podcast, you could just look me up. Flat the you could put the Flat Out Investments podcast or just Flat Out Investment podcast on iTunes, uh, Spotify, and Podbean. And uh, we'll catch you in the next one. All uh, right, Justin, thanks a lot. Yeah, man, you're welcome. <laughs>